Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. All we're doing is creating private industry that widens the gap between people who have and people who have not. It comes down, PJ, to a very simple rule of be a good neighbour, talk to your neighbours. And I'd say, because of bureaucracy, I cannot get work permits. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818-969696. Extra WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. No, no, it's not just me and it's not just you. Traffic is getting worse in the mornings. 25 late, I was a couple of minutes behind time this morning coming into the city centre and it was like Christmas Eve at 3 o'clock at half 7 this morning. It was just mad. And it's madder it's going to get over the next few weeks. I think there's a few things, few changes they've made. Maybe when they were making those changes, they, they might have planned or thought or worse, less cared about what was going to happen to traffic uh, in the uh, eight or nine weeks running up to Christmas when this crack is trying to bed down. Come to that in a while. Good morning to you. 0818 96 96 96, the number. The text to WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96 and your email is opinion at 96fm.ie. I'll get back to tipping. Lots of people still on about tipping and whether you will be tipping or whether you should be tipping or whether you hope people will tip you this jazz weekend. They're an awful mean bunch out there, some of you. Oh, some of you are horrible. I have to tell you now, some of you are rotten. That's no word of a lie. Speaking of the jazz weekend, I'll be talking later as well to the man who started it all. The great Jim Mountjoy started the jazz festival before most of you were born at this stage. Um, but I'll talk to him about the, the, the wonderful thing, this wonderful phenomenon that we have 40-something years on. But starting this Thursday morning at, with, with Declan, Declan, you use the Dunkettle stroke East Cork roadway there every morning on, on your way to work. They made changes which we announced on, or which were announced Monday New two new lanes and a new cycleway, and it's just part of the whole Dunkettle 
development. Uh, but you reckon so far, Declan, it, it, it's just not working. Good morning. Morning, Peter. How's it going? Good, good. What's happening down there? Yeah, um, look, as I suppose I, I told your researchers, I'm travelling east to Middleton um, for the last six or seven years, I suppose, since I'm working down there. Um, and this week, they've opened the, with great fanfare, I suppose, even on, uh, in, in the papers and on Twitter, the, the two new exits, basically, for the independent exit for heading for Dublin and Little Island, and just further on, the independent exit now for the tunnel. Yeah. Um, just in my opinion, the new Dunkettle um, roundabout traffic lights, okay? First yeah. of all, I think that their stay is wrong, but what's actually happening is the build-up of traffic from, say, Silver Springs along the low road heading east. First of all, it's caught by these traffic lights, and then when people are engaging with the tunnel, they're actually blocking the exit for Dublin and Little Island, okay? So what's actually happening is the people who would be taking the independent exit for Dublin or Little Island have to join a one-lane queue right. with the people who are, say, taking the tunnel exit to head off west. And this line of traffic is going back through the Dunkettle roundabout. It's going back past Silver Springs. At one stage this week, at 10 to 8, I was actually back uh, past, by the, past Kevin O'Leary Garage. Right. Okay. Um, what's actually happening then, in a wider issue, since the changes came on the bridges... And the so, just things. one second. So, oh, yeah. if I want to go to Dublin, yep. I have to join the same exit queue as is going up the tunnel? It, they're supposed to be independent, but there's so many people using the tunnel that they're, bla- they're blocking the exit for I Dublin see. and Little Island. I see, I because see. Because the, the exit for Dublin and Little Island comes first, Literally, very, very quickly, within the space of 150 metres, another exit for the tunnel appears, and then you can go straight on. So the tunnel queue is stretching back beyond the other queue. Yes. And the two queues are mixing. And basically, when you're approaching these two exits, okay, it's actually a single lane (gasps) approaching both exits. So before both exits, it drops to one lane. Right. Have you been back. have you been delayed this week because of it? It took me fifty minutes um, Monday morning to get to Middleton. It's it's exactly twenty one kilometres from where I'm living there in St Luke's. Traditionally, at my ease, it took me twenty 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 two minutes at most. Right. Um, fifty minutes, and to get home um, yesterday it took me forty five minutes. Now there was a little bit of an incident, and I, I, I do I do realise that uh, travelling back east towards the city, they're still upgrading stuff there, and that be expected yeah. as it stands I think if you're going east from the city in the morning now this is it like, yes. like this is the setup. And and I know they'll say after the exits there's still a bit of work to be done but the minute you pass the exits the traffic just flies so that, that's that's having no impact it's so, clearly a pinch point clearly a bottleneck at the moment and you just hope that as more of the development is rolled out it, it might ease itself off you made another observation as well Declan which is interesting because of all the changes in traffic and flow and we've talked about keys and bridges many times on the programme over the last few months and the changes that were made say in August to yeah. the keys and the bridges you reckon now a lot of people are actually avoiding the city and heading for the tunnel yeah. causing more problems in Dunkettle Yes, well, okay, I'm living obviously in St. Luke's, okay, we've been hugely affected by the changes on the keys because, like, I engage with the city an awful lot. My, my wife works in um, Penrose Dock, going there by the train station. Yeah. Um, my, my daughter goes to the Gwail Colossia there in Sawmill Street. Um, so we engage with the city a lot, like, you know. And um, my wife's also eight months pregnant, so, you know, I, you know, you're 
collecting or dropping or is kind of imperative at this stage. She actually had to walk to walk to walk to the morning in, in in the rain carrying a bag, like you know, and walk home up Summerhill. Like you know, first world problems now. Like, but you know, if you're if you're eight months pregnant, you should be able to engage with the city on some level with your car, like you know. Sure. But anyway, what what I'm noticing is a lot of people are avoiding Summerhill now in the mornings, okay? Because Summerhill is backing up. Uh, up to Dylan's Cross, basically. Yeah. And people are using Tivoli Hill and turning right to go down, say, the keys towards the train station to engage with the city that way, or heading towards the tunnel and engage- and, and uh, avoiding the city completely. Like, this has been ongoing since August. And yeah. obviously, I have a concentrated um, experience because I live very close to the city centre, okay? And you literally, you, you can't get, you can't get, like, towards the centre of the city. And I live, like, probably 900 metres a kilometre from it. Yeah. You know, even coming back through the South Link, coming home, it, the city centre now is, 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 is just, I, I don't know what's going on there. Now, I know they're going to say there's a wider um, well, plan here with bus connects and all that. Like, but, I know, was in there Tuesday night, and I was in a traffic jam at 10 o'clock on Tuesday night. Yeah. Sunday morning at 10 a.m., you could traditionally do push-ups on Summerhill if you wanted to. There was a queue up to St. Luke's. Yeah, I was thinking to myself and have been thinking since August, all these changes they've made, this is only the end of October. In a dark, cold, wet December morning when there's Christmas traffic rush and every other kind of rush, one small tip on a bridge and we have a situation, as they say. I saw a woman um, drive straight into an electricity pole the other day because the bus is across the white line I'm not blaming cyclists or anything but there's cyclists on the road and the woman kind of panicked she saw the bus coming and drove straight into an electricity pole yeah you know like I'm all for change I'm all for the, the environment I teach that stuff in my, in my subject in school and all that Like, but there has to be a plan like you know it, I mean it, there's, there's businesses closing in the city like I'm, I'm an inner city dweller like I spend money in the city I mean, my wife but we're being pushed out like I mean we're looking to move no we're looking to move to um, a, a town crikey yeah. we don't want that that says it all Declan that yeah. says it all I live just off St. Luke's on a, on a street right there's about 18 houses on the street and at the moment 6 of them are for, are for sale and I was talking to some of the other people who'd be at the same stage of life, life as us and they're all thinking the same they're just getting out crikey <laughs> drive safely no bother thank you so, bye that's thank, thank Declan um, Linda uh, you stuck in it at, and I know you're on speaker uh, and I assume yeah. you're, you're driving safely on that you're stuck in it right now morning hi good morning PJ the story of my life I'm just sick of it I swear to God it's just absolutely ridiculous you know I just I, it, you know what it's not even the, the tunnel it's everywhere mm-hmm. it's the city it's, it's, it's as Declan said there it's just a domino effect it's just everywhere has been affected now you know the roads because you're with Carney's coaches I am I am indeed yeah so where are you right I, now where are you today literally now I just came off the Dunkeddon on the slip road heading towards uh, the tunnel to bring my daughter to Mahim and it's like she used to be there for half nine I'd be lucky to get there I'd say for ten at this rate right Um it's just, it's bonkers. And what time you know, did you set out fr- and, wh- and from where? So I'm living in uh, Sallybrook in Glanmire. Okay. And you know yourself, there's been extreme roadworks there for the past while. Yes. Um, so you're coming up Glanmire and it starts literally by the brook in Sallybrook, even Grandin's, and you're in that constant flow. Right. Um, so I have to bring one girl to um, with the Wellington Road. So you have all Dylan's Cross, you have all the summer. It's just 
crazy. Like, I literally was two hours yesterday in traffic. Um, and it's the same in the evening. And as you know, we're based in, in Little Island ourselves. Yes. And my, my sister, Liz, works in Little Island. And it's just, she takes literally an hour to come to work in Little Island. And she spends another hour to get home. Um, like Roy said to me yesterday, I said, where are you? He said, where do you think? He's stuck in traffic again. Took him 45 minutes to just literally get out of his... So we'd be in waterfront in Little yeah. in, in, in Island. So he took 45 minutes to get actually out onto the main road. Oh, no. And it was just backed up the whole way. So listen, I don't know if there was, as you said, PJ, was it lack of thought or lack of care? Um, I personally um, think that it's going to create an awful lot of road rage. I see an instance there in Douglas yesterday. Yeah, yeah, I was you about know. to I was about to get to it and look we can't say a whole pile because people are identifiable, no. but certainly yeah. a very, very, very angry incident in Douglas yesterday. Yeah, it was you know, and there's going to be more of that because people are becoming frustrated. I'm frustrated myself. My own daughter is starting to drive and learning how to drive and she's getting turned off yeah. because she's saying, Mom, I'm stuck in traffic the whole time. How am I supposed to learn? I was coming you know, in this morning, Linda, and I'm driving into the city, God, <laughs> more years than I care to remember or would admit to. And, and, and it's it's simple route and I just come in and I park up on Patrick's Hill and I've noticed in the last two months... It's getting busier and busier and busier. This morning, I was a few minutes behind time, so making one of my normal turnings, I would have been about seven or eight minutes behind time. And it was like Christmas Eve. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. And then the dark mornings as well, PJ doesn't add to it with the rain. So I don't know how earlier I'm supposed to leave because at this rate, it's going to be six o'clock in the morning. I, I, I just think it's bonkers, literally. I don't know what they're going to do, but something has to happen. Now, we're, we're being told by, by the experts that this is all about planning for our future and planning for better transport and planning for, for, for car-free cities and all of this crack. And that's all lovely. We'd all love that. But realistically... Are we facing into carnage on our roads over Christmas? I've been saying this for months, I hope I'm wrong. All the changes that came in in August, I said this to Declan as well, all the changes that started in August with Brian Bruce Street going back to two-way and all the changes on the keys, I'm dreading a cold, wet morning in December when it's still dark at quarter past or yep. twenty past eight. And you know yourself when you're involved in the bus game, Linda, one mm-hmm. small tip is all it'll take. All it takes, CJ. Yeah, it's all it takes. And like, what the hell do they do to Patrick's Gate? In the name of loving God, I mean, they put in a path there up the, up the top of Patrick's Gate, and it's wide. It's actually you could play a match on it. A hundred percent. You could play actually, a match on it. You absolutely could. Literally, like, do you know what my daughter said to me a while ago? She goes, "Ma'am, I could run on into a shop there." She said, "Get a full uh, meal." She says inside and come out, and you'll still be there. Yeah. And I said, I know. I said, it's 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 crazy. Then you know, I don't I went, know. I went to see a show on the Everyman the other night, and normally I get the bus in, but the weather was so bad, I, got, I, I drove in, and I parked there in the car park next to the Metropole, and I came out of the Everyman at 10 to 10 at night, and there was a traffic jam on Patrick's Key. Something's wrong. Something is radically wrong, and someone needs to do something before, as you said, PJ, there's going to be carnage. 
it's going to come in now, the clocks are going to go back, the nights are darker, the mornings, it's, it's going to be carnage. And people are going to be frustrated, there's going to be more road rage, and I don't know, they're just going to have to do something. It turns me off completely. You know, I just, I just every morning now I dread getting into my car. And I know a lot of people out there are the same. Yeah. You know. our, our Fergal is regularly around McCourton Street in the evening and he'd be having a coffee on his way home from going shopping and stuff like that because uh, he lives nearby and between 7 and 9 in the evening horrendous traffic jams on, on McCourton Street and remember we're still 9 weeks to Christmas like we haven't even started yeah. shopping yet no no just crazy crazy absolutely now I'm going to be heading into the tunnel there in about go if on. I get in there in about I, two minutes I, I know I leave you go I leave you go Linda thanks ever so much for that 0818 96 96 96 and to Decton before that and look I know don't be going at me now with environmental plans and active travel and bus connects and the future. Don't be going at me with all that palaver. I get it. I absolutely get it. All of it. I've been in cities where they're 10 years ahead of us. But it's not going to be nice in the happening. It's not going to be nice getting there. I think the Public Accounts Committee should look into this now says one caller, how the upgrades of the roads are being done to see if it's proper spending and proper planning. Kate says high vehicles are supposed to notify the authorities in all the areas they're passing through. Go through early in the morning and they have a warning device advertising their presence. This is clearly not being done. We had that earlier in the year, all right, with the, the, the tunnel. They put in new sensors in the tunnel and high vehicles started getting caught and stopped and blocked. And I think they've fixed that. I sincerely hope they have. 0818 96 96 96. If you have gotten to your destination this morning and you have a few minutes to, to let me know what it was like for you getting there, 0818 96 96 96 or drop us a, a Vox a voice message on WhatsApp if you're, if you're busy to 083 396 96 96. Cork's Gold Imro Award winning sports show. Right, right here. Score on Cork's 96 FM. Join me, Trevor Welsh, Sundays from 2 for the best music mix and all the latest sport as we focus on the Cork County Senior Football Championship Final between Southside rivals Nemo Rangers and St. Finbars. Right here, right here. Join Trevor Welsh for the score this Sunday from 2 p.m. on Cork's 96 FM. Cork Dental Care with us all this week on the Opinion Line with a Philips Zoom Home Whitening Kit to give away every day. Uh, Cork Dental, helping you to achieve an award-winning smile. See corkdentalcare.com. We want you to identify who this is. These are moments, great Cork moments that gave us a smile. So who is talking here? It would be as fast as you can go. Start to finish. Close your eyes and pull like down. That's easy. Who are they? Who, Who are those legends? It would be as fast as you can go. Start to finish. Close your eyes and pull like down. Tell us who they are. Tell us who you are. 083 396 96 And win our daily prize of the Philips Zoom Home Whitening Kit from Cork Dental Care. I'll let you hear it again during the morning. Mary, uh, you got caught with an email scam and an upsetting one. Morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? What happened to you? Yeah, I got this email last night. Um, it appears it came from myself. And it says um, that they've got full control of my device 
and then it says, several months ago, I got access to your device using a browse on the internet. Anyhow, it says <laughs> that I'm an, a regular visitor to adult websites. I can confirm who that you're responsible for this. So to keep it simple, anyhow, they basically want me to pay, um, let me see now, 500 pounds sterling in Bitcoin. Otherwise, they're going to post the videos online and send them to all my friends today. And I, now, take, I take it, Mary, there are no videos. <laughs> not at all. I'm a 69-year-old woman, for God's sake. Like, and to be honest, I am not worried for myself, but I'm worried for other people who may click on this. Yes. Because there is a place where you can click on, and that's where they really get into your device, you mm. know. But it would be very concerning for some other people if they got it, and I just want to put it out there. That, Absolutely. Um, what did you do? Yeah, you changed your password, did you? Yes, exactly. I did that last night. And it said I had 48 hours to reply, and if I told anybody about it, then, you know, um, it would instantly go online and instantly go to my friends. Right. Well, it says you, you can't put online what isn't there, sweetheart, so drive it away. I, I know that, but um, not everybody might believe that. No, Mary, you're right. You're made right. up my videos and put my face on it, say, for instance. You know, they can do all these things. Do you know what? That's a brilliant point. That's that's a brilliant point. They can put somebody else's video up and all they need to do is grab a face of yours and you can do exactly. horrible things. Yeah, yeah. 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 But, like... I'm not paying money. I'm just ignoring it, and I don't care how many times it comes. And if they do it, well, I don't really care at this stage. I really don't care. But there are people out there, and men or women like this would be, you know, concerned about this. You know, if you're a married man and you get this video, I don't know, whatever, like, you know. Yeah. Or, uh, or you get this um, Or someone or claiming they have woman. a video, yeah, yeah. Yes, and you, you know, want to... Stop it, like before things get out of hand. You may be willing to pay the money. Exactly. Don't pay them anything. And when when anyone's looking for Bitcoin, Mary, you know that they're they're probably a scammer anyway, because that's how they want it paid over. Mary, listen, great. Thanks for the call. First thing you do if you get a email like that is change your passwords and do not give them anything. Cheers, Mary. <laughs> There's no video, none. But they're t- they're threatening over the video that doesn't exist. Mary doesn't care because there's nothing to threaten her with, but she says others might get caught. Thank you for that, Mary. Have you got that video or any or that email or anything like it? They're always going around. Always, always, always going around. Thanks, Mary. 0818 96 96 96. Now, during the week, we heard the news that we're about to be dragged kicking and screaming into the 21st century with our licensing laws. And that's how I see it. I was only discussing it this morning with my daughter. That's what we're. That's what's happening. There's nothing. There's, there's, the streets are not going to be awash with with blood and vomit just because some nightclubs can open late. We're being dragged, kicking and screaming, into the twenty first century with our licensing laws. Pubs will be open till half twelve if they want to be, seven nights a week. Late pubs can be open till half two if they want to be, and nightclubs can open until six if they want to be and serve until five, if they want to. None of this is compulsory. You won't have to go. You won't have to stay out till six o'clock. And the pub or the nightclub doesn't have to stay open until six o'clock. There's no one going to make them do that. You know that, don't you? We're just being allowed to do it like adults if we want to be. But Orla, you don't think they'll be able to staff it anyway. Morning. Good morning, Vijay. 
Uh, yeah, like, I mean, as you're very right in what you said there, that it's not compulsory, that if it's a choice that licensed premises will make. But my issue is, and I work in the industry, is that it's difficult enough at the moment with the current licensing laws to staff um, shifts for, you know, for different nights, particularly weekends. And I think it's going to be a big issue with with premises to try and get staff to work. Like, you know, at currently... You know, a lot of people got out of the hospitality industry during the pandemic because it was such an uncertain career path. They hadn't much choice uh, everywhere was closed. They didn't have, exactly, exactly. But, you know, I, certainly with, you know, from my experience is that a lot of the youngsters who would have, you know, be funding their college, um, you know, supplementing their college entertainment, shall we call it. Yeah. They, um, they... They got out of it and they went working in retail and they had more social hours. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them went in call centres as well. They could do three 12 yeah, hour shifts yeah. a week. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's an easier job in a lot of respects. And that's not in any way diminishing that retail is an easy job. But, you know, you're not dealing with drunk people. You're not dealing with antisocial hours. And, you know, from a point of view from parents, they prefer, a lot of them prefer to see their, their kids working daytime hours so that they didn't have to arrange lifts or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. home from work. Yeah. So I certainly think that, that from that aspect, but I also think that, um, and I think that's where your producer picked up, is that I had a little bit of a, a rant on my Instagram. We saw it. it yeah, it, it's just that there's so many kids these days mollycoddled and they don't really want to work. Um, I've interviewed lots. I'm going to sit lots. back and let you have the plural early here. Drive on. Okay. Thanks very much. Um, I, I just think that there's so many of the mollycoddles that they don't want to work. Probably the single biggest mistake that the government made during the pandemic was to pay a flat rate um, for the um, for the, the compensation. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They they didn't. I don't think they gave a lot of thought to it. They just went right. Let's pay everyone 350 euro at the beginning, and we had kids who'd worked maybe six hours a week. And suddenly they were getting this money and they saw it as very easy money. It changed their mindset and now they don't want to come back and work for the 350 euro. Now, I get also that and I know that possibly a lot of your listeners will say pay kids a decent wage. You that, know, that comes up, wage. Orla, yeah, when, whenever the it does. hospitality trade says, oh, we can't get people to work straight away. The first answer you get, oh, well, pay them a decent wage. Now, for a, for, for a long time, hospitality was muck wages. Now there's a oh, minimum wage. Listen, I, back in the day when I was a, a youngster, because I'm not a youngster anymore, um, I think I worked for a pound an hour, you know. Now, obviously, that was a long time ago and, you know, your money was increased. But now it's minimum wage um, or plus. And if you work in the restaurant aspect, you know, um, side of things are hotel, they, they can earn 50 or 60 euro a night on tips. But now the government are going after that as well, not allowing tips go on card. And if they are, they have to be taxed. So they're catching the lesser paid workers in many ways. Yes. The cost of running any aspect of hospitality at the moment is skyrocketed, absolutely skyrocketed. Even, you know, down to a breast of chicken, it's after going up three times yes. in the last uh, 14 months. You know, everything has gone up. The taxing hasn't um, hasn't come down. In fact, it's gone up, as we know. The VAT is going up. So it's, I think, that you know, you look at it as a bigger picture. 
and say, yeah, okay, pay them, pay them more. But it has to come from all sides, you know, that the taxing has to, has well, to be well, looked well, at well, also. Well, I remember reading two articles and re- mentioning them here on the programme. Now, one was from Britain, one was from Ireland. One was a publican in Dublin who said he'd, if he had Im- applied every increase, he'd be charging €26 Euro for a pint of stout. Yep, and that's about right. Another one was from a bistro owner in Birmingham, and I always remember the interview on, on British radio, and he said, look, he said, if I was to apply all of the pressures, I'd be charging £43.50 for a cheeseburger and chips. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose, when you look at it, and I, and I guess, and I, look, I can completely empathise with kids saying that they don't want to work for minimum wage, but you have to start somewhere and it's just the sense of entitlement with a hell of a lot of youngsters looking for jobs that they don't want to work. So I think trying to staff nightclubs and bars later, they're going to have a very, we are going to have a very hard job. You know, at the moment I, I interviewed, I, I, I said it on my stories, I interviewed um, you know, two different guys in the last, in the last, since we came back, we'll say full time after the pandemic and two of them, one of them said he didn't want to work on Saturdays if there was a, um, a Liverpool match on. He'd be hung over on a Sunday if they won, so he couldn't work on a Sunday. And I said, so when do you want to work? And he said, well, off-season when the, when the soccer season isn't on. And I said, no, you're, you're grand. I said, go home and tell your mother I said that she needs to touch up on your interviewing skills. Because I asked him why was he here. He said, my mother sent me. Another guy said, I'll do anything, he said, except work nights. He said, because I go out at night. <laughs> so you're looking for a job at a pub. You know, I, and I tried to explain to him. I said, "So I said, when you're finished work here, I said you want to finish at ten o'clock at night." I said, "When you go to a pub, who do you think serves you?" I said, "People work in this industry work at night. Yes, it's a pain in the backside to have to work mm-hmm. nights uh, when everyone else is enjoying themselves." I said, "But you're wasting your time trying to get into an industry if you're not willing to work nights." That's and good. I think that's where the, the that's where. And as you said, it is a choice by you know it there's, it is a choice to stay open. Um, with the extended hours but I think the bigger picture is it's going to be very very hard to staff Orla you and I were were in the entertainment trade and in the hospitality trade around Cork and I remember your face where are you these I haven't seen you around for a long time yeah I know I'm living in Kerry right Uh, I'm an adopted Kerry woman now I'm in Tralee so I run a there's a company there's a a family and they have um, four businesses in in hospitality, the Benner's Hotel, Molly J's, Courtyard Bar, Dara oh. Sullivan's, and the Killarney Burger Kitchen. Oh, so I know. Well, I know yeah. Benner's, and I know the, the, the God, I played Benner's many times, I can tell you, over the years. Yeah, yeah. So they bought it uh, eight years ago, and I'm with them now seven. All right, good for you. Good, good to get so, you. But, yeah. but, but I, I love the Liverpool guy, don't you? I love the Liverpool guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could say that's a typical Liverpool sport where I know no, don't, don't, don't. about soccer. Yeah, no, I know, you know what? about soccer. No, no, you nothing. know what's going to happen, Orla? You're gone and I'm taking the crap for it. So don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, look at I, that's. I just think that, that that's my the, the crux of my, my, my argument, because it's not an argument, my, the crux of my conversation is that it's going to be very, very hard to staff when the hospitality already is, you know, crying out for stuff. Yeah. And yeah, and it's not down it's not just down to the to the wages, it's down, you think anyway, to, to attitude. To attitude and I and I get it. Like I mean, you know, back pre pandemic, 
you know, if we have had the nightclub open, I might get home at six and I'm back in for lunchtime the following day, you know. And so it's not it's not an easy life, um, but it's it's certainly not for for someone who's, you know, molly coddled the, and the apron strings are very much still attached. All right, Orla, thank you. And I'm going to be strangled with welcome. your apron strings now. You know that, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Orla Winters. I knew I hadn't seen you for a while. Based in Tralee now. Well known around her. Follow her on Instagram. She doesn't hold back. You think she's giving it straight between the eyes here? Thanks, Orla. Oh, 0818 96, 96 96 Do you agree with her, though? Do you think young people don't want to work? Do you think that it'll be impossible to staff the nightclubs? I think, is it Reardon's? The gaffer over in Reardon's, so I don't know who it is these days, but the gaffer over in Reardon's says it'll be a rare enough occasion that they'll stay open till six. And part of it being the the staffing of it. Lots of stuff coming in on the roads as well. I'll get to it. Joe says, why isn't the Christie Ring Bridge used to get traffic out of the city instead of sending them down to Northgate Bridge and then a narrow area up the street at Chandon causing traffic jams? You're not wrong. You are not wrong. 0818 96 96 96. More on roads in a sec. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96 FM. The Cork Diary is a free service. So if you're a community group, a not-for-profit organisation, or you have a fundraising event you would like mentioned, let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie. The Cork Diary. With corksimon.ie. Because everyone who calls Cork home should have one. Cork's 96FM. William, you, you drive a taxi and so you get to see the situation on the roads. Is it getting worse? Morning. Good morning, PJ. Uh, yes, it has. Uh, since the council has uh, changed all the format around the city, it's diabolical. Um, I go back in a number of years. Mm. Uh, the torque stared on the Bancolic Bypass and they had road management in every junction. Yes. At the moment, uh, whoever is building or doing up the roadworks down around the Dunkettle area, there is no road management. They're now, closing now roads. Just define roads. what you mean by road management, William, for someone who wouldn't uh, know. Uh, a stop and go system where people actually o- operate the traffic manually because the lights are not do not justify the volume of traffic that's going through. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, when they were doing the Ballincollig Bypass, they had uh, people retired men with stop-go signs, radios, the whole lot, and they would keep the traffic moving at a very even pace. I remember. In Dunkettle Roundabout, there is no traffic management. Mm-hmm. All they do is close a road, put up a sign, no entry, taking the um, exit for Glungtall onto the uh, motorway that will bring you back down through the tunnel. They close that during the week. No notification, just close this. So a lot of traffic now coming from Glanmire have to actually go through Glanmire Village. Yes, yes, yes. And to get back through the tunnel, which yes. is co- creating mayhem. Do, do you take Declan's point from a while ago that he said, actually, so, such now is the level of change in the city with the keys and the bridges and all of that all being changed. People are now heading for the tunnel to avoid the city and making matters even worse. Yes, because they reduced the volume of traffic coming down through the tunnel from uh, Douglas side. That, that the traffic is all building back up as far as Douglas, so people know are coming back down through the city to come the opposite direction. Yeah, you know. And outside that, you had a lovely lady on while ago talking about the apron strings. Yes. Okay, she is correct. You know, when I 
drive through the city there in the mornings, I can see all the mammies and the daddies dropping off their girls and their boys to cross over the bridges to go to the, the, the schools that are up by you. Yeah. Come June, there won't be any traffic in the city. Why, oh, yeah. Because all the secondary schools are closed. I see. You don't see young kids on buses anymore like they were in the 80s. Yeah. And the 90s. They are all being dropped to school before their mammies and daddies make their way to work or back well, home to work from home. I suppose they are clipping big bags, do you know? Uh, bags. Uh, d- did we not do that in the 80s and 90s? You know what? Did, William, were we, were we not made of... men and women in the 80s and 90s and I school, leave school and go to part-time work at 13 years of age? I got caught out one time on that argument and I, I had a bit of a life lesson. It's many years ago now and I made uh-huh. that point on a programme like this. So I was challenged and, uh, and a 16-year-old, his dad weighed his school bag in front of me. Yeah. And then we filled a similar school bag with whatever weights. Uh-huh. To the same, And I went to carry it from 96 FM here up to the Mon. And I tell you, I changed my mind a bit. Yeah, but uh, are not like you don't go into school doing every subject every day. True. You know, you go into school doing X amount of subjects, so you only take X amount of books with you. Yeah. I uh, trust me when I say this. I'm driving taxis a very, very long time. Come June, May, the end of May, mm. there is no traffic around the place. Because I pick up special need kids and I can actually cut my time down by over 15 to 20 minutes right. for that last month. Come here, while you're in the... Do you, what, what do you make of all the changes on the keys and the bridges? I'm, I'm predicting... I hope I'm wrong. God almighty, William, I hope to God I'm wrong. But I'm predicting some wet, dirty, cold morning in December there'll be the tiniest of tips and we'll be in serious trouble. Would you agree? We don't even need the tiniest of tiny tips. You came out of, uh, as you stated... Out of the Everyman the other night, and there was a tailback a tail up, truck, the, up yeah. the road. Patrick's Bridge is down to one lane. There's a left hand turn to go onto Camden Quay, and the pedestrian lane comes up, so the person who's turning left will hold back up all the traffic for another 60 seconds so nobody can actually go forward. Yeah. You know, uh, there's no right hand turn off a of Merchant's Quay onto Patrick's Quay. And yet people are still doing it. And the guards are watching it. The guards are not doing their job. Years ago, we had the guards out. Uh, point duty. On duty, doing traffic. I don't know if they actually do point duty anymore, but you, I don't know if you're old enough. I am old enough to remember the guards with the long white gloves that went nearly up to the shoulder. And they would get off the bike or out of the car and just walk into the middle of the junction. And they could work magic when they were trained on point duty. Well, they do point duty when they're being paid for it. If you take a big GA game, they're on duty. If you take a, 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 a concert down in Parky Cueve, they're yeah. being paid for it. They're on point duty. Mm. And they do move traffic. Mind you, you know? they're busy enough but with other being... stuff too. The traffic corps don't do as much point duty as they used to do, though, by any means. Well, if they don't, bring in retired guards that would only be too happy to do it two hours in the morning and two hours in the evening and pay the people well to do the job. They're trained to do it. That's a point. That's a point. William, thanks. 0818969696. Orla, you drive every single day. It's getting, it's getting harder. Morning. Morning, please, Ian. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> oh, 
always. It is ridiculous. 40 minutes to get from Blarney to Montanay this, this, this morning. Sorry. And then the other day I was going up to Tremay to sort something out for the car. Uh, I had to go up to the dealership and I was 20 minutes from Montanasi to get to the Dublin road. <laughs> you, you couldn't make it up, DJ. You really couldn't make it up for city traffic or for the traffic in the city. Mm. Absolutely ridiculous. But I do have to say, as a dub, if listeners don't know, I am a dub. We were saying the exact same thing about the... Um, the red, I remember the red, the red cow, cow arguments, yeah. Now that yeah. Can, it seemed to work out, though. The red cow kind of works now, doesn't it? It does, it does. But you have to pick your lane as soon as you get to the Tala exit. Like, you have to be in your lane. Otherwise, you could be in northbound or southbound M50. Oh, you're not wrong. So I know, I know that when I get to Tala, the Tala exit... To go to my to my house, to my mum's house, you need I have to be in the very right lane to go down to Crumland. <laughs> now, now, you can see that there are the framework going up of signs for Dunkettle. So hopefully by the time Dunkettle is finished, we'll have that. Yeah, so do, do you think it will sort itself out, Orla? I'm no engineer, but I think it will from previous experience. Now, I did not drive in Dublin. I only learned how to drive when I came down here, but I remember sitting in traffic every single time we were coming back from Kildare or yeah. like going to Kildare <laughs> sometimes yeah. going out uh, of Dublin from my mum's is pretty blocked up but once you get past the re- the red cow you're kind of flying yeah yeah no I <laughs> you're able to go the speed as, limit as someone like. who drives to Dublin maybe four or five times a year and over the last 15 or 20 years that used to be the worst part of getting in and getting out no, yeah. it's actually not so bad, and you're and you're and you're right there. And hopefully, Dunkettle will work out the same way. Orla, thanks. Two hours to co- and my best to himself. Two hours to come out of Little Island last Tuesday. Oh, don't give me Little Island. Oh, listen, I had to go last Friday. Now, I still, if I ever find the person who decided it was a good idea to take all the parcels and packets and letters down to the back end of that bloody industrial estate in Little Island for unbust. The smallest little package down to the back end of Little Island. On a Friday afternoon, all you'd want afterwards is whiskey and paracetamol. Anyway, that's the side. Little Island is an absolute joke at the moment because of all the Dunkettle and it's blocking everything up. I had to go down there last last Friday afternoon. Someone had two hours to get to it this morning. Right, with some of your WhatsApp messages have come in. Uh, Trevor. DJ, I go through the tunnel four times a day. I had a full head of hair before I started going. I'm, I'm grey as a badger now. It's horrendous. It's horrible sitting there. No one moving. Them green parties should leave the country, go to Afghanistan or something. <laughs> Thanks, Trev. Paul. DJ, as it's obviously stated before, at the end of a court street, Brian Barrow Street. People want to make them torns when they shouldn't be making them. They don't care, they're just blocking up the traffic behind them. And then when they're coming into the box junctions there, driving across them, sit there. All down to one thing in this city. No goddamn enforcement. City Council, as I told you the other day, make their changes and then wipe their hands clean of it. Nothing to do with us. We don't, we're not in charge. You're busy this morning on the WhatsApp voice messages. Great to see it. 083 396 96 96. 
Uh, we need to get to Kevin as well. Hey, PJ. Yeah, listen, I'm all for change and anything that makes the city easier for all of us to get around. But, like, why in the name of God? Why in the name of God did they introduce all these changes when all the schools were back? The summer was over. This all should have been done at the start of the summer when the kids were on holidays and the roads were quieter. Now, on top of all that, Patrick's Bridge is currently down to one lane. George's, or Patrick's Key is down to one lane. Bridge Street is down to one lane. I mean, it defies logic, like. I really, really, really don't know who's making the decisions in City Hall, like. Yeah. Thank you, Kev. Dave is saying we need to get the city manager on the air. Someone needs to be answerable for all of this chaos. Put in a request. We can do that. We can certainly ask to have someone come on from City Hall. When the tunnel was being built, they were advised, I remember, they were advised to put three lanes in and three lanes out, but nobody was listening. That, that's right. I remember that argument. Good morning. Please don't give my name out as I'm at work. I work in a clinic. We open at seven. Since September, we're constantly having to reschedule patient appointments because they're just arriving late, like 30 to 40 minutes late. Anyone with an appointment at 8.30 until 12 or maybe half 2 through till 6, they're all arriving late. It's very distressing for them, but we can't do anything about it. As well as the fact that these valuable and important appointments are being lost, it's very frustrating for us on the ground also. And Elaine says, PJ, the problems with the tunnel have resulted in more people using the Cross River Ferry. There are dangerous queues every evening in Glenbrook. People are doing U-turns in the middle of the road to join the queues and blocking both lanes. If you're driving past the queue, you need to overtake on opposite side of the road for 100 or 200 metres. Yeah. Actually, is it just me? And forgive me if it is. There used to be two boats. Now, in the last couple of times I've used the ferry, and it isn't that often, I will admit, but in the last couple of times I've used, there's only one. Are there one boat or two? on the Cross River Ferry, because there used to be two at peak times. 0818969696. In Austria and Germany, the whole weekend, tall vehicles are not allowed to use the road. The only exceptions are if they have essential goods. It's busy on the roads, and it's reflected in your calls, texts, and comments. You guys ready? Drive home weekdays from four on Corks ninety six FM. Not only is the Big Drive home the home of the biggest tunes, entertainment news, and celebrity interviews, but it's also the home of the coolest prizes. This week on the show, I've got a four hundred euro Kilkenny design gift card to give away every single day. Plus, there's lunch for you and three of your friends at Sophie's Rooftop Restaurant at the Dean Hotel up for grabs too. I think that deserves a woohoo! Woohoo! Find out how to win with me every weekday from four. The Big Drive Home. With Kevin O'Leary, Silver Springs, the new home for Suzuki and Cork. Hybrid has never been so affordable. Call now to ensure January delivery. Cork's 96 FM. <laughs> the lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. 
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Oh, very busy out there this morning. Roads-wise, lots of people wanting to get in on that particular conversation, which we can and we will continue in a little while, with lots more besides to do. 0818 96 96 96. The number to call, text to WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96. And you can leave your WhatsApp voice note there. Or your email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Paul wants to know, why does a city the size of Cork need five axle trucks? Dublin banned them 25 years ago at any time during the day. Uh, you've Arctic trucks on the quay and Panna all day ask the city council about this as well okay Paul absolutely uh, not not too sure what the rules are with regard to it I know that if you're coming to town in the early morning like 7 o'clock or in the summertime maybe 6 or half 6 you'll see big trucks in Patrick Street and all the side streets offloading into the shops uh, they have to be done but they're, they're generally out of there by 7 o'clock I'm not too sure when the last time I saw an Arctic on Pana in the middle of the day, but if you take it that they're, if you tell me they're there, uh, it's not up to me to, to not believe you. But thanks for that. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now on buses and school buses in particular, this happens every year. We're up to Halloween, Jazz Weekend, and Tasha, you have a problem with a bus for your young lad with special needs. Morning. Hi PJ, how are you? Good. Good morning. You got in touch with me out of sheer frustration. You had a bus, then you haven't a bus. Now you had a bus again, then you haven't. Where are we this morning? Um, so back to square one, basically. Now again, PJ, um, I'm doing the dropping and collecting for my son, who was approved for transport um, with with bus airing. Nice. Um, so he had he had a bus last year for the first year of school year and. And this year, he had no transport for a few weeks starting off the school year. Right. So he got um, he got a driver eventually, and it was just kind of up and down, I suppose. Then from there, um, I'm back to square one again now with no transport again because the driver um, isn't fit for work, unfortunately, at the moment. Okay. Um, so I'm literally at my wit's end to be honest because I'm a working mum. Um I work I work from home right. and it's putting not just my job under, you know, on the line, it's putting me under a lot of pressure as well to get my child up and down to yeah. school. How long is the commute, Tasha, that you have to take him to school? Um it like you can go obviously different routes but on a on a quiet day it's about twenty, twenty five minutes. Right. Where's sorry, where is he going to school? Um, he's in Cargilline. Oh, and Sunnis. He's in Sunnis. He's yeah. in he's a wonderful school. They're absolutely fantastic. But you have to get him, you have to get him there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's, it's obviously not nothing to blame the school on. No, like, no, no. You no, know, no. absolutely not. Um, and, and to be fair, nothing to do with the driver as well. If the, if the no, driver is sick, he's no, sick. But they've no replacement. Exactly. Yeah, it's just I feel like I'm getting no answers because I'm contacting Boss Erin and I'm getting automatic responses. Oh, your case has been looked into. Here's your reference number. Mm. We don't have a backup driver, I was told last week now. So, like, you know, what am I supposed to do from here? Like, why can't they get a backup driver is what I want to know. Like, It's a fair question. It's a fair question. If, the two, if, if a driver is sick, 
on the 220 or the 214 or the 202, if the driver is sick, he phones in sick and they find another driver, it might delay it by a little bit, but they'll find another driver. Why can't exactly. your your boy get another exactly. driver? Exactly. And PJ, my son, like, it's, he's the only child, him and two other kids, that don't have transport in the school. The rest, the whole rest of the school have it. Yes. Um, you know, so I'm just, I just feel a bit obsessed because oh. why is it my child? Yeah, yeah. No, you it know, happens. I've, I've. How long am I saying this? It happens every year. So it, it is, and like I wanted to come on because I know I'm not the only person that's in this situation. You know, I'm not coming on to the poor me. I know I'm not the only person not, in Ireland. Tasha, Tasha, you're not doing. You're not doing the poor me. Yeah, you're, you're supposed to have a service. Your son has been approved for the service. It's a good service, but you're entitled to have it delivered as well. Exactly. And, you know, it's confusing my son as well because, yeah. like, his name is Alfie and he's, he lo- like, he needs routine, basically. And he doesn't have a routine because it's me dropping him. It's my mum dropping him, his yeah. dad, my, my sisters. Like, at the moment, you know, my car is broke, so I had to borrow a car. Um, you know, it's just, there's just so much to it now. I just feel like I'm lost and I'm getting no answers. The school are trying to contact them now, to be fair. Hmm. Um, but I just, I don't understand it. Like, you know, I, I actually contacted the Taoiseach's office as well. Yes. A good couple of weeks back. You're living, you're living in his, Sonus is in his constituency. Yeah. Exactly. And not to be smart or anything, but ministers, TJ, have their sofas to bring them places when they have meetings and stuff. And my wrong. child with special needs can't get a taxi or a bus to Cargilline that he's approved for, that he has a bus pass for. Yeah. Like, how is that fair? It's not, and that sums it up perfectly. The Taoiseach or Minister Coveney or Minister McGrath have a driver to pick them up, take them to work, take them where they need. Anytime they want it, day or night, seven days a week, it's part of the job. Your little boy, Alfie, is entitled to a bus to work, or to school rather, and he can't get it. And that exactly. sums it up perfectly, Tasha. Thank you so much for that call. I really hope it works out soon. I really do. And you know you're not the only one. There's three in his school and there's other school, other kids as well. Thanks, Tasha. I hope everything works out. 0818 96 96 96. That guy up the country, Fergal, throw his name up, Bob, he does the TikToks on the motoring. His second name has gone from my head. Throw it up. Yeah, Bob Flavin. Bob Flavin was on with me months back. Um, he's a motoring TikToker and he's fun and we've had him on a few times. But he was talking months ago about Japanese imports and one little flaw that they have. And Vika has fallen victim to that. I'll talk to her next. PJ Coogan on the Opinion Line. Silver winner. Silver winner. Best news story at the Imro Radio Awards 2022. Corks 96 FM. So what Bob Flavin, the motoring TikToker, was pointing out to me months ago was about Japanese imports. Brilliant cars. Supercars. They're lacking one thing. Generally speaking, they're lacking in an immobilizer or an anti-theft device, which you found out to uh, your disappointment. Vika, morning. Hi, good morning. A little Toyota Vitz. What happened? Yeah, so essentially I parked it, um, parked it as, as per usual, like I always did um, since I've gotten the car. 
came out the next morning and about, you know, half 12, just after midday and the car was gone. Mm. Um, and like my heart just sunk. I was like, oh my God, where, where could it be? Where do you live? Um, I'm just on like the South Douglas Road. I was visiting visiting a friend, so I had parked it just down um down just like a small kind of private laneway, had been safe there all the time, no incidents um ever reported there. Um and yeah, I came out the next morning and it like it just vanished into thin air almost. Right. Now you were able to track it because you had put one of these smart tags into the glove box. Yeah, so um, it's a Samsung Galaxy tag. So what it does, it like it pings off a location if another Samsung device is in the area. So after I saw that the car was gone, I like I suppose panicked a bit, but then I like realized I was like, oh my god, I have this this tag in the in the car. So I had gone onto my phone because linked to my phone, and I was able to see where they had gone during the night. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had gone like a. I'd say tour Cork City, like. Where'd they go? Um, they had gone through Ballon Lock, out Ballon Temple, even down to Cargilline. Then they came back into the city again. Um, ended up on Patrick's Key was the last place that it had uh, pinged off a location, and then the Gardaí found it. Then the previous day, so I think it was on Monday, they found it, um, up Kilcully area, and it had been completely burnt out. Oh no! Okay. Yeah. Yeah, your pride and joy, and I, I know you had to you had to get a loan to buy it and all that kind of thing. And oh. yeah, like I'd gotten a loan out because I didn't have obviously like the income to to pay for it straight away, and like I had needed it just to travel um to different classes for my masters and everything. So I had bought it with the intent that I was going to have to drive it. Um, so I've been left in quite a you know tough spot at the moment, trying to find a new one, waiting for the insurance to come through now as well. Yeah. You know, it's just it, it it's a massive inconvenience just for you know somebody else's four hours of fun. You know, sure. will the insurance cover it, Vicky? Yeah, by by the sounds of it, they should cover it. Um, they should be able to cover it. I'm just waiting now just to see, um, just to see where I can go from here. Who was it pointed out to you the the immobilizer problem? Was it a guard? So, yeah, so like fair play to the guards. They came like really, really quickly to the door. So like I was really, really thankful. And like they had found the car and everything like within 48 hours. Um, They were like a really big help. But they had been telling me like that these Japanese imports are being targeted because they don't have the safety features that the European model, like the models legally have to have. Um, It's because they're like car theft isn't really a problem over in Japan. So they're not really fit with those kind of things. Um, so like I wasn't aware of it at all. Um, I never like heard of these like security features in my life until now. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of them about. They're a great, they're a great. I don't, I don't know the Toyota Vits. I think it's, is it something like a Yaris? Yeah, it's literally like the exact same kind of um, like model looks exactly the same as Yaris. It's just the the Vitz is on it instead of the Yaris. Right, right. And how old was it? Um, so it was a 2012 model, but I'd only bought it in January, so I only had it for ten months. Right, and they're, 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 yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've driven a Yaris. They're a nice little car. I'd say it's, it was a beauty to drive, was it? Yeah, like I just passed my test in December and everything, so it was my first car. Wow. So I was I was delighted with myself, you know. But now, like I suppose it's it's a 
very uh, bitter moment now at the moment. Okay, well, here's hoping that the insurance will come through and search out and that you'll be able to get some set of wheels under you again. But this is good. And the guards have... It, it, it's, I'm reading from the from the echo, I think, here now, the echo the, where they're saying that the guards are warning of in that the imported cars don't have immobilizers fitted and to get a simple crew clock, the ones you into any motor factors shop and you get a crew clock for 20 quid. Uh, and, and yeah, that absolutely. Will, that, that will block the steering wheel. Oh, tough. Very tough. Very yeah. tough. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Vika, thank you so much. And I hope that everything works out for you with the car and the insurance and that you're able to, to replace it. But I do remember Bob saying that on the show the last time or the last time but one that he was on that there's a lot of Japanese imports they come in at a good price they're great little cars it was in response actually to a listener's question about them thanks Fergal when he was on the last time he said that they're great little cars and they save money on them they're very efficient and they're very well built and they're great engines and every other reason the one thing to watch is that they don't uh, very most of them don't have any kind of immobilizer, but if you go to any motor factor shop, particularly the bigger ones, for about twenty quid or maybe thirty, if you want to invest heavily, you'll get a crew clock, an old-fashioned crew clock. It's like a walking stick with two ends on it, and they come in two two kinds. One goes onto the steering wheel like a bar, so the steering wheel won't turn. But the other one, and I remember my dad having one of these back in the day when very few cars had immobilizers. It's like a, like I said, like a walking stick with two ends on it. You put one hook around the wheel. You put the other hook around the clutch or the accelerator. My dad used to use the clutch and tighten it up. And until you have, unless you have the key for that lock, you can't press the clutch. You can't turn the car. You can't start the car. If you haven't an import, Japanese import, or you intend to buy one, that's probably the next thing you do: is spend twenty or thirty quid on a good strong crew lock. Thanks, Vika. Hope it all works out. 0818-969696. It's a bumper weekend uh, with the Premier League live on 96fm.ie. And Trevor Welsh and the team back Saturday from midday, powered by TalkSport. They have four matches for you this weekend. Long day. Live coverage of Leicester against Manchester City. Kicks them off at half past 12. Brighton against Chelsea at 3. Fulham v Everton at half past 5. And then Liverpool versus Leeds at a quarter to 8 on Saturday night. Long day for Trev and the team. Uh, Premier League Live online with Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. You're listening Saturday on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. Do you use emojis? Take a look at your phone. Just open up your phone and have a look at the last emoji that you used. I'm almost certain the last emoji that I used was a thumbs up to somebody. Or I got a thumbs up I actually did last night. I was chatting with a pal of mine. We were hoping to go for a couple of points at the weekend. And we were making plans, as you do. And the last um, message I got was an emoji, a thumbs up emoji saying, Grant, that's it. Apparently, you're not supposed to use the thumbs up emoji anymore. I use the thumbs up sign through the window to the lads here a dozen times a day. Keith Baroni is the Irishman who is editor in chief at Emojipedia. Am I old, Keith? Morning. Morning, morning. Great to talk to you. you um, too, so, look, people are talking big talk these days about uh, the thumbs up emoji and other emojis being passive aggressive to younger generations. And although there is 
a little bit of something to this. It's not absolute nonsense. The It's being completely overblown. What is construed as being passive-aggressive if you receive a thumbs-up emoji is if you send a text message that you feel requires like a proper response. You know, like, hey, could you look over this thing for me? I'm kind of worried. Have I framed this in the right way or whatever? You're looking for some positive feedback, for example, and someone just sends you a thumbs-up going, yeah. You'd expect a little bit more effort. In the context you were just describing there, PJ, I mean, you've after chatting about arranged some pints, and then at the very end you throw a thumbs up. That's certainly not passive-aggressive. But it is beginning to change where certainly we're seeing reports that people from younger generations are kind of going, ah, a thumbs up, maybe use a different emoji, use something that's a little more... All it means is... All it means is, and whether it is just organising to go for a pint, or would you ever read that 14-page PDF before I send it to the boss and make sure it's okay, (laughs) all it means is, message received, I'll get back to you. That's all it means. But again, you know, people from different generations are beginning to perceive these things a little bit differently. And it's not to say one is right and one is wrong. This is a difference that is emerging. It's the same with the really, really basic smiling face emoji yeah. so no kind of teeth on show no big open gleeful mouth just a very very simple smile mm. a lot of people are also construing this as being a little passive aggressive in nature and what's kind of driving that is because if you look at your emoji keyboard there's so many different big hyper expressive uh, smiling options you could if be you there go with the, the most going through them. simple <laughs> well there is very many believe you me i am would I, know am i the only person then that has this little paged the ones I most commonly use and I just use them no that is that's fairly standard across all of our various devices uh, emoji keyboards but of course as you can kind of scroll through you can start seeing there's there's thousands upon thousands of them now um, and look the one thing I'd say is instances like this it's not definitive that this emoji definitely means uh, you know I'm being passive aggressive or, or what have you but there is you know, a whole minefield to try and navigate when it comes to emoji-based communication in the same way that there is with any kind of even slang-based terminology when you're talking to different people from, mm. you know, different backgrounds, be that a different generation, so from different culture, um, things of that kind. So yeah. these are the kind of things we research at Emojipedia, and yeah. we're able to see, well, actually, this is kind of changing here. Take, for example, right? You know, the, there's a great debate about the thumbs up and the smiling face. These are still incredibly and popular emotions. And the applause can be very passive. It's like, oh, well done you. But what's happening there is, of course, people can applaud very sarcastically already. It's something that we do face to face. And, you know, in many instances, emojis are kind of co-opting that meaning or trying to make it even more kind of exaggerated. A, a great example of this is how the skull emoji. So, you know, like our, you know, <laughs> our skeletal innards. If that emoji is being used as a symbol for laughter by a huge proportion of people across the world now. And that looks a bit stark when you originally see it, especially if there's more than one used in a row, as you very often see with other emojis when someone is trying to convey a stronger sense of emotion. But what's happened there is there's a slang term, oh, that was so funny, I'm dying laughing, which then gets turned to, oh, that's hilarious, I'm dead, which then gets turned to skull emoji or one, two, three skull emoji. Okay. Keith, are we not in danger of overthinking ourselves into a home for the bewildered here? 
<laughs> Home for the bewildered. Look, I wouldn't advise anyone to stay awake at night wondering whether or not their emoji was the right one or not. But what I am trying to say here is that emojis have become such a core part of our digital communications that they are falling into all the other patterns that we see with kind of, you know, words and expressions across um, our entire uh, communicative history. Nice. Come here, what about this job of yours? This is a serious gig. You're an emoji uh, translator, which means you obviously make them up and, and devise them and code them, do you? I'm part of the process. Would you believe the process that uh, goes into creating a new emoji is incredibly multifaceted. It involves an international organization called Unicode that has members such as Apple, Google, Facebook, who of course are now Meta, Twitter, and ourselves at Emojipedia. We're part of one of the pieces of work that Unicode does, which is the creation of new emojis that, again, that added to that emoji keyboard that you were just referencing earlier. Um, So there's a lot of collaborative work that goes on amongst a variety of different people from a lot of major tech companies to say, well, should we add a plain pink heart emoji? Should we add a moose? Should we add a hyacinth? Those are three uh, hyacinth plants. You know, the kind of purple flowered plants. Yeah, why would you, why would you add are, a hyacinth? Or why would you add a moose? Why, why, why? Well, anyone across the globe can actually propose an emoji to the Unicode uh, consortium. And they have a very transparent process with the very, very clear guidelines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those guidelines explain that, look, we are looking to add emojis to, you know, the emoji lexicon, as it were, that can be representative of either a kind of fairly universal human experience, like a lot of the, um, you know, facial expressions, or represent certain metaphorical meanings to certain cultures. So, for example, there's a, a blackbird that's, um, you know, being added to the keyboard now. And of course, a blackbird uh, or a raven or a crow, I know these are all various different varieties, but in emoji form, it's just a small little bird. Across many cultures, that has a very strong metaphorical meaning, kind of like the black cat that was recently added, which yes. you know can be a symbol of good luck or bad luck. And the emoji keyboard is playing with our kind of pre-existing notions of you know um, metaphorical meanings in terms of animals and symbols or what have you. So when someone comes along and makes a proposal to Unicode, they weigh it up. It takes a considerable amount of time, um, and then it either gets accepted and added to the keyboard, or it is rejected and said, look, we don't feel this will actually be used by a significant proportion of people. So it's a huge um, multifaceted process that goes on. I love uh, another one that's apparently not supposed to be used. I love the poo emoji. <laughs> I know. Well, look, that is... Look, it is a, a classic emoji in so many respects because it, it speaks to, like, the, you know, often the hilarity that you can find in the keyboard. Who dreamed up a poo with the you know, smiling this face television and happy program eyes? is poo. Like, you know. <laughs> exactly. But it's playful in the way the design is set up. And also, would you believe, speaks to uh, the origins of emojis because that is actually a popular kind of comic book or cartoon depiction of fecal matter 
going back to like the 1980s in Japan. And emojis actually emerged from Japan in the mid-1990s. They originated on pagers and then really, really basic mobile phones that could access, you know, remember the really basic internet? I remember, Keith, I remember (laughs) the best best phones I ever had were the Nokias. You know the Nokia, was it the 3330 or the 3330? Oh, the 3310. You could drop that off. If you could drop that from a plane, it would still work. It would, and it still worked two weeks later as well. And 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 what you could do, you put in a colon and an open parenthesis or a co- for a sad face and a colon and a closed parenthesis for a happy face. And that was a long time before we had fellas with degrees in this. <laughs> <laughs> well, would you actually believe that the very first person that was documented to create the emoticon with the colon and the, the bracket to create the smiling face or the sad face was actually a university professor in Carnegie Mellon in the US. Because he was the person who was like, hey, look, we're cracking a load of jokes on this uh, this kind of intranet, they used to call it back in the day. So like the, the college's internal intranet before they all linked up all the computers. By the way, Keith, they- we, we talk about this as if we were speaking about the 17th century. We're talking the 90s here. <laughs> Oh yeah, this is these are all really, really recent developments. You know, I mean, like emojis only, you know, really uh, broke into the Western world in in 2010 when that organization I mentioned earlier, Unicode, decided to include them in their work. And um, so emojis have you know only been around for say 12 years as far as the majority of the the world is concerned. But it the fact that billions upon billions upon billions of them are sent every day from thumbs up to slightly smiling face to the yeah. poo emoji to all the other ones with less consternation associated <laughs> with them. Gas, and come here, how does a dub end up with such a sexy job? <laughs> well, you talk about degrees and things. I ended up studying for a bit several years ago. Uh, and I ended up doing an experiment based on emojis to see, hey, are they actually changing how people perceive um, you know, written messages, and I found out that they were. This is when I was doing a master's degree, and then you, you mentioned have a uh, in one of my. That's gas. Uh, would you believe it's actually business psychology, but it involved emotions. <laughs> There's various levels to this, various hilarious levels, and um, I ended up then. You mentioned a, a job title of mine, the emoji translator. Um, very playful job title. I was effectively a communications consultant. Um, and that uh, led me to do various media interviews. I was briefly turned into a meme because people were like, an emoji translator. <laughs> what is this? What is this? So uh, that was pretty funny. And yeah, I, you know, I got, then got involved with Emojipedia, which was originally founded in uh, 2013 by Australian man Jeremy oh, Burge. So, um, so I got involved long, so in, ancient, so long ago. <laughs> forever ago at this point. Uh, well, we're coming up on our, our 10-year uh, anniversary of our existence, which is very exciting. You're officially old. But, uh, uh, well, look, maybe maybe they need to uh, take me around the back of the shed and get someone new <laughs> into, the, into the job. Oh, what's, this, what's, this, what's this millennial doing talking oh, about emojis? Oh, I know. Oh, I know. Keith, listen, good good crack talking to you. And I really do appreciate you being on, on the program with us. That's Keith Baroni, Dublin man. He is the editor-in-chief at Emojipedia. He has a master's in emojis. Well, he has a master's. It, it's a, he has a master's in emojis. Like, there's the coolest job in the world. He has a master's in emojis and he translates them. But come here to me. Would someone please? This is an opportunity I've been waiting for for a long time. If there's one buzzword that gives me, as they say, the ick, 
There's another word I hate, but anyway. If there's one buzzword that gives me the ick, it's passive-aggressive. What a stupid expression. Pass- what does it even mean? Oh, that's very passive-aggressive of you. Oh, go away, give me another point. Go away. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael with an update on Cork's entertainment. You can hear the city come alive this weekend with the Guinness Music Trail as part of the 2022 Jazz Festival. Stretching from every corner, follow the trail to discover assorted sounds and sights in some of Cork's best venues. For more information on this and to find out where the best shows are, check out GuinnessCorkJazz.com. Access all areas. The Scratch are a four-piece acoustic act born from a shared love of acoustic guitar, metal and Irish music. The Scratch have moulded triumphant melodies with a groove and intensity of metal and they have two Cork shows coming up in November, the first at Cypress Avenue on Saturday the 5th and later in the month as part of Autumn Air at Mitchellstown. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events or gigs by emailing us at aaa at 96. 6fm.ie Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on side. On Cork's 96FM. They've actually gone and found me a definition of passive-aggressive, and I might tell you it makes no sense to me anyway. I'll read it in a minute. Not, gonna, not, not just now. I just, don't think, I just think it's a buzzword. Um, it's this, this year's buzzword. Everything is passive-aggressive now. Yeah, we used to call each other a pain in the arse back in the day. Now you're just passive-aggressive. Or is that different? I don't know our... I don't even care. 0818 96 96 96. We're with Cork Dental Care and Union Key all this week on Cork's 96 FM with a Philips Zoom home whitening kit to give away every day. And I want you to identify this. These are two lads, two Cork lads, who made us smile. And I want you to tell me who they are. Yeah, to be as fast as you can yeah. start oh, to finish. Best, yeah. Close your eyes and pull like a dog. <laughs> That, and that's a phrase that spawned mugs, t-shirts and probably even emojis at some stage. Who are they? Yeah, to be as fast as you can go yeah. start to finish. The best, yeah. Close your eyes and pull like a <laughs> Their name and yours to 083 396 96 96. Now the Jazz Festival kicks off this evening. There's a reception at, uh, it's in North Main Street actually, at, at St. Peter's and there's a fantastic photography exhibition uh, going on display for the first time ever and then the festival proper kicks in tomorrow and there's festival club and there's the trail and it's just part of being Cork is the jazz. I'm old enough to remember it in the 80s um, when it became Guinness and the jazz trail developed and I remember meeting this great man a number of times uh, in the early days of of the festival. He's the guy, Jim Mountjoy, you were the man who taught it up, former gaffer at the Metropole. You, it was your idea, wasn't it, Jim? Good morning. Yes, uh, good morning, PJ. Yes, it was my idea. I decided back in uh, late 77, 78, uh, I had a conference booked for the first bank holiday weekend yeah. uh, with a... Um, Bridge Club, they came in to me and said, look, we've been at the Hotel Blarney for the last year and really there shouldn't be a reason for us to move. So I said, that's okay. You move back to the Blarney. I'll get something else for the bank holiday weekend, which was instituted by the Minister of Labour, Michael O'Leary. And we would have been the first to use for a festival uh, or an event on the bank holiday. Yes. 
I had jazz going well in the hotel on a Sunday night and um, sorry, on Sunday morning and Monday night with Harry and friends. And I said, there's a potential here. So I decided I'd move in that direction. You were a jazz fan yourself, Jim, were you? No. Weren't you? I knew nothing about jazz. Did you not? Because I remember Harry. They were great. They were brilliant. They were, and Harry has played at every jazz festival since the first day. Crikey. And uh, I decided I need publicity, so I approached Donald Crosby uh, to become chairman. He was delighted to do so. Mm. And um, I had Dick Brazel as the first uh, secretary. Dixie. No pal. Yeah. yeah. Yes, indeed. And then I decided, you know, we need a sponsor. So I spoke to Pierce Harvey and Ray Fitzgerald, and they suggested maybe John Player. Yeah, it was John Player, and of course, w- w- that was the first one. That was 78, wasn't That's it? 78 to uh, 81. And was it because of the change in advertising rules, sponsorship rules, that you moved to Guinness, or was it just that that... No, the chairman and managing director of John Player came down to see me, and he said, I'd like to use the money we're spending on jazz on marketing, but I know that Beamish and Crawford are interested in taking over the festival, but I'd like to find you a sponsor who feels very comfortable spending an awful lot of money. (laughs) And he introduced me to uh, Guinness. I met Guinness and I sat down. I suggested the pub trail. They didn't have that. They said they'd take on that and they would take over any money I was spending in the Metropole for the suggestion. Wow, wow, wow. What, what a relationship, Jim. This will be, what, 40, 42 uh, years? 40 uh, well, it's 42 years, but two years we didn't have it. That's the right. record showed that some years ago, over a million people have attended the festival with a spend of well in excess of 60 million euro. Good Lord. Now, there are a couple of things that we did have one time and we don't have any more. Uh, the jazz, the jazz ferry, and the jazz train—they they were your babies too. They were, yes. I had um, on the Swansea Cork ferry. Um, I had the uh, jazz boat, but of course they came off the route. And I also had a jazz train at four o'clock on a Friday. But CIE told me after a while that they didn't have enough carriages to have it. So <laughs> everybody, that. everybody wanted to be honest, Jim. That's right. Yeah. And they also told me that was probably out of, outside of Christmas, the busiest weekend of the year. I can imagine it was. I can imagine it was. Did you ever think when you had that idea back in the Metropole in the 70s that we'd still be here now in 2022, a very different festival, a very much changed festival, but still a big favourite? Did you ever think that, Jim? No, I didn't. But I, the secret behind it all, really, is the marketing and I travelled extensively in America, in France, in Germany, all over Britain, doing interviews on BBC local radio, BBC Radio 4, in Ireland and in Northern Ireland with Downtown Radio and BBC Northern Ireland. And really the success is having the correct artists that people would know and the marketing. Like on the opening festival, John, uh, Ronnie Scott was the first musician with George Melly, Kenny Ball. Ross, Monty Sunshine. Now tell me, Jim, how in a fledgling first festival did you get Ronnie Scott, George Melly? How did they were the biggest names in the world of jazz at the time? 
the success really down through the years, PJ, has been that at many festivals, these uh, jazz musicians find it hard to get paid. But with the type of sponsor we had, they were guaranteed 50% up front and 50% in a riot in Cork. So they were guaranteed their money. Yes. So they were, they were delighted to come. Mm. Now, people that have come here many times and have had the opportunity to meet them, and you know, some, there, are, there, are, there are great privileges that this job gives me and has given me over the years, and that is to meet so many of these great musicians. And they all say the same thing. This is one of the world's top festivals. It's up there with New Orleans. It's up there with, with, with others. That must make you very proud when the greats say that, Jim. It does, yes. And I think just the relaxing atmosphere in Cork, I went to the New Orleans Jazz Festival in 82 and I was a judge at the Sacramento Jazz Festival in 1977. So um, people got to know it. The, uh, we had a band from Australia even, Bob Barnard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that um, Ella Fitzgerald and I was chatting to her um, in a room uh, one night and she said to me, I'd love to have gone down in the Metropole to hear Bob Bernard, but I thought, thought I might be mobbed. I said, all you do is to contact me and I could get you down the back stairs and you could listen to the band. She was rather disappointed from that. Ella Fitzgerald, like you just dropped that name, again, one of the all-time greats. They've, was there anybody over the years, Jim, that, that you failed to, to pin down for a slot? No, there wasn't. And like uh, George Shearing, I, oh, I, the first night day he came here, he flew in from Switzerland and out in the Hotel Blarney, there was a conference for blind children and he insisted on in going out to see them. Wow. And um, they were all around him out there. And afterwards, when he came back the second time, he did, um, he played at the um, Mountjoy Jail. Great. Medtor May, Buddy Rich, Oscar Peterson, Cleo Lane, Johnny Dankworth, Stephen Capelli. These are names that all came to Cork. Acker Bilk? Met- did you get Acker? Uh, we did indeed. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was quite friendly with Acker Bilk. I was very friendly with Kenny Ball over the years. Yeah. I remember being at the Cleo Lane, Johnny Dankworth gig. What a night. What a show. And one of the th- interesting things about uh, Cleo Lane and Johnny Dankworth is that um, John Clare had a reception in the Arbutus for some cigarettes, but they were against cigarette smoking, so they are a few to attend. <laughs> Do you know what, Jim? You, you, this idea you had, yourself and, and Harry, long, long ago, you've given us something that we treasure and that we love, and it's become part of our Cork slang. Only in, only in, in Cork, I think, would we replace what are you doing for the weekend with... Are you going jazzing? Nowhere else in the world would you understand. Are you going jazzing? That's very true, and uh, they come from all over. And I did surveys and found that Dublin would be out in, in Ireland. Dublin would bring the greatest number of jazz bands, followed by uh, Galway, Kilkenny, Limerick, and uh, particularly uh, Belfast. Mm. Is there? You, you said that Harry is Harry still playing? Harry is still playing. He's playing this year in the Metropole and the Shelburne Hotel. For goodness sake. You know, and he's as bright and as good as ever, you know. Uh, Listen, Jim, it's such a pleasure to catch up. I met you many, many years ago in the early days of the festival and and you'd always be around 
and I know you you retired young, but you kept you you, you kept in touch. And uh, thank you for being with me today on the opinion line. It's great to speak with you. And uh, will you will you get out at all at the weekend? Do you? No, I won't. Unfortunately, I won't. All right. Well, look. Enjoy your weekend. I indeed, indeed, I will. Jim Mountjoy, the man whose idea it was to have a jazz festival in our city in the 1970s, and it's still going. Launched us tonight. Tomorrow, there's a big jazz flavor on the show. Fiona will be here, and and just to you know demonstrate how things have changed. Jim was talking there about the greats of Cleo Lane, Johnny Dankworth, Herb Albert, Stefan Grappelli, Acrobilla, Cleo Lane. These were great names, the great names of, of, of jazz. And tomorrow, Fiona will have Jenny Green on the show. That's how the festival has changed. And I think, and someone who worked it as a DJ and, and went to it as a punter and love it, and I'll be in town tomorrow night, hopefully for a couple of points in the music, you know, it, it, that's what's special to it, how it's changed. And it's as good now as it ever was. I'm looking forward to it. Jim Mountjoy, thank you so much. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Hi, it's Elmery. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages. And we'll tell you all about them. The Arts House. Sunday mornings, 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Planted, picked and produced in Cork. Griffin's Potatoes. The great taste of home. Cork. 96 FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96 FM. Actually, on the Ford Fiestas, do you know how many they made? How many Ford Fiestas they made since the first one came off the production line in 1976? 22 million of them. I drove one. It was my first car. And I drove one only up to about two or three years ago. I had a little one. And of those 22 million, I'd say there's still a fair few million of them still on the road because mine, the Ford Fiesta look after it, treat it well, service it and be nice to it, it would last you forever. They were a fabulous little car but they're, the last one will be produced in June of 2023 and I imagine that that will be a collector's item. The last few Fiestas to come off the production line. This is interesting motoring story today. Orla was on with me earlier on this morning. Orla Winters who was on the pub and club scene and nightclub scene in Cork for quite a while, hotel scene. Now she's working in Kerry and running a few businesses. And she was talking about young people and trying to get staff to work the proposed new hours around town. And she was saying that a lot of young people these days, maybe they don't want to work uh, and they're not inclined to do that the hard hours and the late nights. And she gave one or two examples one fella looking for a job at a pub and he didn't want to work nights um, which is a bit one a bit strange one and all, another, another guy who just wanted to work when Liverpool weren't playing <laughs> and I guess they're extremes but her point was that there are alternatives out there now for young people as well 
like call centers and retail and stuff like that. I'm so disappointed, says Anthony. And if someone, if someone wants to have this conversation with me, delighted to do it. So disappointed PJ didn't challenge the hotelier on her views. Was it because you knew her? I don't know Orla well at all. I would have known her to see around town. That's it. Another tired, archaic, generational attack on a younger generation. Her mentioning wages being an issue just doesn't absolve her of it being a huge issue. And it absolutely is. Businesses don't have a divine right to staff. It depends on how they're paid. Then they roll out the old afraid of working hard spiel when they can't get them, says Anthony. The average, the minimum wage, Anthony, is going up to 11.30, is it? An hour on the 1st of January. Now, to pay somebody that, a business has to take in about twice that. So... If the minimum wage is going up, it's it's it, it's hard. Like Orla remembers working for a pound an hour. I remember working in the college bar in UCC. I think we got two fifty an hour or two pounds an hour or something back in the day. We'd have killed for a minimum wage, but it's it's expensive now to employ someone. Very expensive, too expensive to employ somebody. And that's on the side of the business people. And it's also easier for young people to get their week's work in a call centre or in Tesco or in Super Value or Duns or wherever they want to go and they'll make their money and they can go out the weekend. But someone has to do the late nights. Someone has to do the the rough hours. I actually listened to Michael Donovan in the news. Did I pick him up wrong or am I wrong? What? Uh, He was talking about being very surprised that pubs are going to be allowed open until half twelve at night. But I think, with all due respect respect to Michael he's missing the point just because you're allowed to open Michael until half twelve at night or half two you don't have to you don't have to no one's forcing you to do you know what I mean if you want to close your pub at eleven o'clock seven nights a week you can do that just because they're allowed to stay open doesn't mean they have to it's just a bit more civilised way of doing it you can agree or disagree oh eight one eight 96, 96, 96. Now, ADHD is something we've talked about on the programme before. Uh, your, your definition of it, Louise Barry, is one of the best I've heard. People say, you, you say that some people think someone with ADHD can't concentrate on anything. In fact, the problem is you concentrate on everything, <laughs> Louise. And in actual fact, it's, it's filtering out one thing over another is the problem. Morning. Spot on, PJ, and good morning to you and your listeners. Thanks very much for that. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it, PJ. You, you've got a spot on. It's not that we're not noticing or paying attention. We're noticing everything, but it's just trying to get the mind to focus on one thing and to slow down and to not hop on to the next. And very often what's happening with us is we're processing things so fast. What's called the Ferrari brain, I wrote a a chapter for a book recently called Mental Health for Millennials, um, explaining ADHD from my perspective as a as a woman and as a musician and just as a human being, right? And I called the chapter, Would You Drive a Ferrari with No Brakes? Like, they're great things. There's great spree, mm-hmm. there's great power. But if you, you know, just the thought of that alone, I thought might give people a sense mm. of what's happening for us and what's happening 
in the workplace, academically, in relationships and conversations where our minds are racing forward. So very often we're going and thinking like three or four steps ahead. So when someone's speaking to us, we're almost kind of like waiting for them to to finish so we can say our thoughts yeah. and hope that we don't forget them because your mind is kind of going back and forth, if that makes sense. Well, it does. I mean, if you look at the way I like to plan my tasks, so I know what I need to do and I want to do that mm-hmm. one, then that one, then that one, start them, finish them, move on. Start yeah. them, now, mm-hmm. that's difficult sometimes, but I like to do it that way. You actually can't. Mm-hmm. No, and I mean, I have, I mean, ADHD is a spectrum and I've been told I'm on the more severe end of the spectrum and that has variations of different symptoms. But for me, I've major problems with what they call time blindness. And so really that means I don't understand what an hour means. Think about that. Like we live (laughs) at that every day, but I can have a routine in the morning and if I don't stick to that routine like rigidly, then I can lose time. So sometimes, like PJ, I've gotten up at, say, 6 a.m. I've gotten up maybe an hour early, but yet I'll be late for work because now I've gone down the rabbit hole doing something I wouldn't normally do in my morning, which is adding in that extra task. And so I've lost all sense of time <laughs> where I really should have had some time to chill out and have an extra cup of tea, you know? So so you get up at 6 o'clock wanting to get a good start yeah. of the day. You're halfway yeah. down the stairs and you realise, I need to hoover. <laughs> I, I need to hoover, I'll stick a wash on and I'm running across the room and I'm thinking, oh, I've got to water that plant. And in the meantime, I take the hoover out and oh, by the way, I, st- I start an email. So people with ADHD, we're generally multitasking, we're, we're seeing everything that needs to be done. And as you say, you have a task, you start it and you finish it, but we're very good at starting things, but maybe not necessarily finishing it. Like I'll take all my washing, I'll do it, I'll put it all in a lovely neat pile and then I'll put it on top of the cupboard and it might sit there for, I don't know, five days <laughs> until it's put into the drawer, which seems so senseless. But mm-hmm. then I stop seeing it after a while because my brain is now focusing on the next next task mm-hmm. over here in the corner. And, and we are mm-hmm. laughing about it, but it must be hard, Louise, sometimes, is it? It can be just, it can be very disabling, especially when you're living with ADHD and you don't know what's happening to you and you don't know what's going on. Like I landed a great job a few years ago. I was working for the Arts Council um, in Waterford. I'm a Cork woman originally, but I've been in Waterford now for 10 years after I came back from the UK. I had studied uh, music in the Paul McCartney School and I got my first job in Dungarvan. So that's what took me here. And I was working away. I loved my job. I was great. PJ at going out and meeting people. They called me the uh, uh, Mrs. Doyle of the theatre because I was the tea lady, like anyone who came in. I'd be meeting all the artists and the theatre people. And uh, I love to sit down, have a cup of tea, have a chat. And I was great at forming relationships, making the connections with people. But like, I remember getting a phone call from my boss at my house and he was like, Louise, you should have been at the theatre 10 minutes ago. And I was like, oh, oh, because again, I lost my sense of time, right? Now, luckily, I only lived around the corner. So he told me, do this task and that task. And by the time I got to the theatre, it had completely gone out of my head what I had to do. Yeah. Um, and he rings me and he's like, oh, Louise, did you get to this and this? And I'm like, no. Now, I was in the dark about my ADHD. So I just sit there going, shaming myself, going, what's wrong with you? Why couldn't you be there in time? Why couldn't you... You know, that kind of nagging voice that I got from teachers or parents has now, from my childhood up, has now been internalized to just giving myself a a break. At what point did you decide or did you think, I need to look (laughs) into this further? And then when you got the answer that you have ADHD, did did that explain things? Oh, it was like, you know, the light went on upstairs, you know, and I could finally see uh, what was going on in my life. I mean, because 
I, it's not that I wasn't looking for answers. I was searching, but I was putting myself in front of professionals. And what was really going on is very few uh, people can actually diagnose um, ADHD first and foremost. And that's not on the radar. So a lot of us have gone in front of professionals and a lot of your listeners will have put themselves in front, in front of professionals, assuming, like I did, that they know about this stuff. But I was meeting these people and they were just kind of going, hmm, you kind of have a little bit of anxiety. You're a little bit depressed, but you're not quite depressed. You're a little bit forgetful, but you had a very difficult background. So it could be post-traumatic stress. We're just not sure. Did anybody ever and say, I was, mind you're just a bit scatty? Did anyone ever say that to you? No, because I don't present as scatty. And yeah. that's the thing with a lot of people with ADHD and in person. I I come across um, and a lot of people are very shocked by my um, diagnosis. But as my psychiatrist said, how I'm presenting and what's actually going on for me are two different things. You know, women are socially Machiavellians anyway. We're very able to move. Our brains are chemically set up that way to socially maneuver and understand what we should and shouldn't do to be, you know, polite and nice and a good girl, especially for women. That's the thing. Mm. And so we have that a kind of anyway on our side. And you just learn to what they call mask. Now, that sounds like, you know, like Halloween, like you put on the mask and it's a it's a thought. It's 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 a premeditated thing. It's not. If you are constantly told when you're a child to you know pick up your knife and fork a certain way, you, you just learn to do it mm-hmm. the way they want you mm-hmm. to do it. You present so you to present society your, once you. Yeah, present. you present yourself in a certain way. But what's going on internally is so different. And a lot of people that are neurodivergent, i.e. ADHD as well, they will feel, I am different. I'm you a different. Bit like a I know swan. I'm different. Are you a bit like a swan out on the lock, 100%. Louise? 100%. So the swan is going oh, along PJ. as graceful <laughs> in the day sunshine. And underneath the water, those little feet are going like that clock. Yeah. Is that you? Yeah. It's going like the clappers. That's exactly it. And weirdly enough, I've actually uh, got one little tattoo. And as you know, I'm a Cork woman. So actually the lock is a very special place to me. And I got that too based on the lock. So that's so weird that you can say that. And when I rang the ADHD helpline first, um, that's exactly what they said to me. They were like, you feel like you look like you're gliding, but underneath you're really struggling. And I never wanted to bother anybody with my struggles, PJ, because I'm a fairly optimistic person and I like to be that person who's good company and fun to be with. So I didn't want to be bothering other people with what was going on or my confusions or my my mind. And in a way, you've kind of now been living with it for so long that you just have a sense of not trusting yourself, but you don't really know why. Like when I got my diagnosis, the huge thing was I began to understand myself and I became less scared of myself, which might sound weird. But if you're feeling like you let yourself down or you kind of what other people would call self-sabotage, which it's not because it's ADHD. I just didn't have the coping skills to be able to maneuver myself in a way socially in relationship and in work that worked for me and advocate for myself. When you, know. you get on stage and you sing, and this mm-hmm. is a kind of a, a, a deep question that I heard somebody ask yeah. on a podcast. So I, mm-hmm. I just, when you get on stage and take a microphone in your hand and start to sing, is there a release? Yeah. Oh, PJ, it's beautiful because what ADHD people love more than anything is being in the moment. We're, we're the, we are the people that live in the now. As they say, we live in the now and the now. We have problems um, thinking about the future because of our perception of time. We have problems remembering the past. A lot of people are striving for that in life. When you get on stage, 
There is nothing more beautiful than that because you're totally in the now. You're locked into the song. You're locked into your audience. You're just locked into the musician, the music. And that's an amazing feeling. And it's so weird that you had Jim on the line because Jim actually um, would have known, well, would my father would have been part of a jazz festival um, right. when it got first started in 1978. And when uh, Ella came to Ireland, my dad actually helped play with her that night because yeah, Ella's um, Ella's Ella's drummer got a tummy flu on the way. Right. And so my my mom met my dad like in 1978. I was born in 79. That'll give you an indication. Who, who's, your, who's your dad? <laughs> so, who's... so my dad's name was Alec Taylor. Um, he was uh, a British man. Um, he was in the Royal Air Force and he moved to Kinsale in um, just in the early 70s actually. And he had a music studio in Kinsale um, and yeah he's a uh, yeah so he was playing there for years and he set up a um, a band there and he was very good friends with um, Jim and though Vincent McCarthy who's so, still playing the Metropolitan so opening the piano would, would your dad have been part of that group that moved the jazz down to Kinsale as well yeah he would have been part of that entire scene so but I didn't meet my father um, PJ till I was 23 and really? I yeah, really. I was, you know, they, my father, um, I, I call myself a love child as such, you know. Hold my calls. <laughs> we go we go down another rabbit hole now. Tell me this one. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, yeah. But no, it's just serendipity. I couldn't believe it when Jim, Jim was on, on the line. Um, but yeah, no, my father was part of all that scene. He was a jazz drummer, yeah. And um, right. so when I met him in my 20s, I was just starting out in the Paul McCartney school. I knew nothing about him. And I, I say I'd, I'd never met him. And there I was trying to go on to a dance program. And I was studying a little bit of music. But my father, when he met me, he was like, you're actually a singer. You're not a dancer. And I thought he's took ludicrous stuff, you know. But um, weirdly enough, I did get picked up for a record deal that year, even though I wasn't uh, come back, going come for back, it. Come back, spool this back a small <laughs> bit now. Spool this back a small <laughs> bit. You met your dad when you were 23. This I got to hear. Yeah, well, the, the long and short of it was, you know, Back in the day, um, you know, my father, when he came over from the UK, he was in the middle of a divorce and he already had two kids. So he was, they had, he started a studio up in Cork and I suppose he was kind of restarting his own life. Yes. And uh, my mother um, is a Kerry woman and she met um, my father. She was actually, her brother was married to a woman from Kinsale. So she was down with him for the summer, working a summer job. And she met my dad uh, playing music. And they just, yeah, they fell in love. They were together for a couple of years, but... You know, um, I wasn't born into wedlock and as as mad as it sounds to people these days, that was an issue at the time yes, for them yes, and was. for her. And, um, you know, I my mum my really struggled and my father really struggled with it because his father, his parents were very, very conservative. Right. And yeah. yeah, it was very difficult for them to cope. Mum got married uh, a couple of years after. But in the meantime, she had struggled because she couldn't get a payment. She couldn't get a house. So I spent a bit of time in an orphanage. I spent time in foster care. And, you know, so my father kind of, once mom got married, I guess they felt it was better for me to not have that confusion. So my father wasn't part of the scene. And really, I didn't know anything until I was later in life. Um, so yeah, that's that's how it all came about. And then he says, you're a singer. My goodness. 
<laughs> he knew straight away. Um, uh, he knew straight away. And of course, like anybody, you know, I was kind of looking at him thinking, how could he know this? But I mean, my father's passed now over 10 years. Okay. Um, I wish he was here today because, you know, he could give me a whole lot more advice and I should have listened to Bobby sooner. But there you go. He was right. Well, <laughs> I give you him know what? <laughs> this conversation was to be about one thing. It's come down so many different avenues. It's been a pleasure. That's ADHD. It is indeed. <laughs> and if and and I don't, if anybody wants to, ch- I mean, somebody might be thinking maybe that ex- could I be like that? Could I? Where do they go? Yeah. How, would, how would you advise someone who thinks they might have it or thinks they might? Well, be any, anybody who thinks that they may have ADHD, you know, honor yourself and look into your symptoms. Um, contact ADHD Ireland, who may I say are a charity, by the way. And they're doing absolutely stellar work within Ireland for the ADHD community, not only in Ireland, but they actually support a lot of people worldwide on their adult support groups. There's also support groups there for um, parents with children with ADHD and for children and teenagers also. So you get them on ADHD Ireland online. Um, they're they're amazing. Mm. And yeah, honor yourself and look into it. You know, ADHD, everybody has some symptoms of ADHD. It's just whether it's, it's debilitating your life or not. And if you feel that your symptoms of ADHD are causing you to have negative effects or consequences in your life where you're not achieving as much as you ought to mm. or you feel you could, then honor yourself and look into it. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your job. It's, it's a journey for you and you will begin to know yourself more. And there is nothing more beautiful than that, honouring yourself. Louise, this has been a brilliant conversation. Thank you. Thank you, PJ. It's an honour and it's a great to be on uh, 96FM Cork. I grew up listening to it and I adore that station. So thank you so much. Cheers, Louise, and good luck in everything that you do. That's Louise Barry, a singer and musician uh, based in, in County Waterford, but a Cork woman, ADHD. There's so much more to her story than that, though. Imagine meeting your dad at 23 and you're going down one line or one road in the music business or the entertainment game. He says, no, no, you need to start singing. There's a YouTube channel. I think I've actually seen this. There's a YouTube channel, How To ADHD, which is very good at understanding or in helping to understand the situation. How To ADHD. 0818969696. I am so backed up with comments on tips and stuff ahead that I want to get done ahead of the weekend. I'll have to do it at some stage before now and 12. But you know what's very funny in terms of comments and stuff coming in? Sometimes we get a WhatsApp message that you inadvertently sent to the wrong number. I don't know who you are, but you didn't mean to send it to 083 396 96 96. And we're not going to give your name or your number, but you did not send it to 083 396 96 96 intentionally. I know you didn't. So maybe check again. If you sent a message that reads, Morning, my gorgeous, sexy soulmate. How are you feeling today, sweetheart? How did you sleep, my love? Kiss, kiss, kiss. That's not for us. And you haven't had a reply because that's not for us. The Two Grand Minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. Answer 10 questions to claim all that cash. Stacking up the cash. Cash! Cash! The Two Grand Minute. On Casey and Ross in the morning. 
96 FM. Mentioned the jazz, talking to Jim Mountjoy. It was all started in the jazz. In the the jazz started in the Metropole in the late 1970s, and to this day, it's the hub, it's the centre, it's the heartbeat. You can have the Opera House, you can have the Everyman, you can have any hotel, pub, or venue in the city that you choose to name. But the Metropole will always be the beating heart of the Jazz Festival. Can't wait, for example, to get in there tomorrow night for an hour. Just for a pint and a bit of music and a bit of crack. because It is the place to be. And it's just this week that uh, Trigon, of course, who operate the Metropole, have announced the appointment of Eamon Cassidy. And he'll be the man at the front door. Will you have the top hat and tails on, Eamon, as the new concierge? Morning. Good morning, PJ. Good morning to you. How are you keeping? Great to hear from you. Thanks for taking my call. Will you, will, you, yeah. will you have the, the, the top hat and tails on, you will? We'll have it. We'll have it all on, PJ. And we will be welcoming everybody into the hotel. As you know, the hotel is synonymous with the Guinness Jazz Festival and it started in around 1978. So over 40 years yeah. going strong. And the hotel itself is 125 years old. So it's great history with the... Uh, Jazz Festival and other festivals like that, Film Festival also over the years and things like that. And I think you had Jim Montjoy on this morning who would have been at the hotel for many years before I am. It was a great uh, great scene in the Jazz Festival back then and things like that. Enough to know. I saw when your picture was published during the week, I looked at it and I know him. Because of course, of course I do. You were at the airport at the airport for 20-something years. I was at the airport for over whatever, 25 years indeed. I was there and it was a great job, great experience and actually a great experience for but coming into this role as a concierge and things like that, you're still dealing with the hospitality industry, still the same type of things that people are looking for, looking for mainly for information, where to go, what to do, mm. going to kids places like Kinsale, onto Cove, Killarney, and again, people just asking for mainly what's going on in the city, restaurant-wise, as you know, the mm. VQ ones on the street here, the yeah. Vibrant Quarter, yes. it's booming out at the moment, things like that, and with the restaurants, you can get everything from restaurants, a haircut, and even post a stamp. Yeah. on the street if you want to do that so it's, it's great yeah. it's great and it's great for the, for the Metropolitan Hotel being in the middle of the whole lot yeah. you, you, you're, you're, you're taking up a role which I think was brought into the public domain more than ever by the great John Coleman of course who's now in, 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 in FOTA it's, it's a big job you're there on the front of one of the most prestigious hotels in the city the concierge is it a case Eamon that if it's legal I'll get it for you it is, of course. It is, of course, PJ, and that's the way it is. And look, we're, we're actually there. Like, there's not many jobs you get a chance to come in and be nice and kind to people every day. Mm-hmm. That's part of the job. It's a facility that's mainly as kind of the head point at the main door of the hotel coming in, that anybody that's coming in, it's never a major problem. It's always something small. They're only looking for something particular, and you're giving them the best advice you have and things like that, and mainly just being kind to people. I mean... What could, be, what, could, what could be better than that than being kind to people coming to your job every morning and things like that. So it's, it's a great, great experience. Great yeah. experience. You'll have a busy weekend. You're walking right through? Walking right through, PJ. That's not a problem. Look, listen, everybody's doing the same. It's great to be people out in the streets and every back, everybody back out. And it's, it's great to see, you know, not mentioning COVID again, but it was great for people just to get out. And I'd advise anybody, really this weekend, people, some people may be sitting at home thinking, oh, the weather's not great and things like that. But listen, I think you should ring your friends and if it is looking to get out, people haven't been out as much as they should have been out. Give your friends a ring. Get yourselves together. Have a chat. Come out, have a drink. Mm. Guinness, our main sponsors there. It'll be a great weekend and great to get people back together and use that. And a lot of the entertainment, PJ, as you know, a lot of it is free at the hotel. Yes. You're free up to 7 o'clock in the evening and you've got the Festival Club in the evening, which is 
almost sold out, sold out for the next couple of nights and yeah. that. But still, it's great to see it. Great and, great to, see it. and great to hear those two words, sold out. Absolutely great to hear them. Eamon, thank you. Congratulations on your appointment. We hope to see you many, many times in and out to the Metropole over the weeks and months and years ahead. Eamon Cassidy, the new concierge, the new man in the hat and the tails outside uh, the Metropole. Proud Corkman, worked in the airport for 20 odd years and he joins Trigon. Uh, to be the concierge at the Metropole. What a weekend to start that gig. Good man, Eamon. Good luck. 0818969696. We were talking about tipping and staff, bar staff, restaurant staff in, in the weekend that's ahead of us. And people were saying, Look, tip, be nice, be kind, don't shout at them, wait a couple of minutes, you'll get your drink, you'll get your food. But then tipping. And we were talking about tipping and, and, and habits with regard to tipping and I was saying I like to tip the person not the house I, I prefer to tip the person if they're good to me if they're good to my table if they look after us and I don't particularly have this thing about tipping the house there's foreign against it we opened that question we opened that question to the, to the floor as it were people are not obliged to give a tip I always give a tip, unless it's self-service. That was from Karina. Um, leaving a tip should be optional. What you don't want is the case like it is in America. A lot of people agreeing as well that it should go to the person and not to the house. But come here to me. People don't have to tip. Minimum wage is across the board. Hospitality aren't below any other jobs. But having worked in hospitality, it's a hard job, that minimum wage is well earned. I would always tip once the service and the food are good. That's from Shona. Anne says, I would tip if I know the tips are shared among all the staff across the board, not just the waiting staff. The hardest workers are in the kitchen. They're never tipped, says Anne, which is an argument for tipping the house, I guess. So Samantha then says, you might as well tip in every shop so, because plenty of people are going above and beyond and not getting paid for it in every industry. Lauren says, there's no obligation to tip. Retail and other low-paid workers don't get tips. Hospitality gets an early wage. It's not America, says Lauren. Christore says, get a better job and stop looking for handouts. This is not America. Thank you, Christore. And then looking at the comments makes me question humanity. The quickfire response is like, I'm paying for my food and they should be happy with that. Well, it's nice to be kind. And a lot of people in restaurants work very hard. I always tip, no matter where I am. And that's because it's nice to be nice. Sad to see humanity taking a dive. Derek says, let's hope people will take the chip off their shoulders and wishing everybody in the hospitality industry a very successful and safe jazz weekend. And if you think the service was worth a tip, then give a tip. And I would tip the person. If you want to tip the house, tip the house. But I would tip the person. Corks 96 FM. Yesterday, towards the end of the show, we raised the topic. The topic was raised by a caller uh, of the old busman's hut at the end of Patrick Street. It isn't there anymore. Uh, I found out where it is. And there is a kind of a quiet campaign to do something better with it. It is languishing in another part of town, looking a very, like a very sad relic of what it once was. Find out more next. PJ Coogan on the Opinion Line. Silver winner. 
Silver winner. Best news story at the Imro Radio Awards 2022. Corks 96 FM. One last chance to get in on this with us. We have teamed up this week with Cork Dental Care and Union Key, a Philips Zoom home whitening kit to give away every day. Cork Dental Care helping you achieve an award winning smile. Who are these lads? Your name and theirs, please. Yeah, to be as fast as you can a great cork moment that made us smile who are they their name and yours 083 396 96 now the bus hut that was at the top of Pana is now languishing in a fairly sorry state in Fitzgerald's Park there was a great article a lovely article um, written by J.J. O'Donoghue on Tripe and Drasheen uh, written a few months back. James Toomey of the Boys and Girls of Naka. It would be lovely to get this this little hut back to where it used to be. Morning. Morning, PJ. How are things? Um, absolutely, yeah. I posted it a few months ago myself as well. And uh, there was just a, pe- a message popped up in the third during the week, you know, mm. about it. So I just reposted it again. I think it'd be fantastic. I think it'd be a great feature in the park, you know. Well, I had no idea what had happened to it. Um, but... I got the pictures on that article. It's so sad now because it's it's down like where we throw old things like sky gardens. Let's not mention the war, but where we throw yeah. old things like sky gardens, it's now down languishing with weeds growing in it. It needs that's to be right, treated yeah. with more respect than that. Absolutely, yeah. Like I mean, that that that's a historical piece there. That that's in Cork. I mean, that was a meeting point back in the sixties, the seventies, and eighties for people as well. You know, mm. um, yeah. Listen, like, it's just sitting there. Like I mean, I saw an article there about um, in London. What they do with all these old huts is like one of them is in London and it's um it's a burger hut for cabbies, you know, for taxi drivers to rock up on, you know? Fabulous. But so I thought it'd be a fantastic idea, even if they made it into a little coffee dock or something inside Fitzgerald's Park, maybe put some old photos of the the old buses and all that stuff outside it, you know, because I have a lot of them on the boys and girls and Occupy page. Yes. And I just had a vision of that, old pictures on it of the buses and stuff, you know. Someone but, was uh, asked a couple of years ago, could we not just put it back? And and apparently it would take an awful lot of work to put it back. Like, what? Why? How would it? That's, well, I suppose I suppose I just don't want to go back. I think to be like, I don't think it'll fit with the with the, the city, you know, where Patrick Street is now. Put it. Find space. Oh, for listen, I, I, that's what I'm thinking that these people are thinking. You know, it's it's it's, you know. it's no bigger than a big barn a shed. Like that's all it is. Yeah, that's all. It could be a tourist uh, a tourist place. You know, cup stick a few maps and stuff in it. Yeah, because there's loads that could be done with it. It's, where it is at the moment, it's just an absolute shame. You know, it used to be where a bus driver would come to check in for his or her shift and to get the keys and get and and, and get the bus and get the bus yeah. rolls. Remember bus rolls. And the conductors, the conductors had their machines and, and all that yeah. with them, and it's steeped yeah. in history. And to make, like you said, to make a lovely coffee Feature. shop. And think about it: you know, a, the bus stop, coffee the shop, bus stop, the bus stop, coffee shop. There you go. It would be there brilliant. But it's it's Absolutely sitting fantastic. it's sitting going rotten in in Fitzgerald's Park. That's right, yeah. There's a picture of it there. You saw it, didn't you? Sad. Very sad. It is sad to see it. Yeah, absolutely. It's sad to see it. Like I mean, it, it, there could be something done with it. Like I said, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Who, could could be a now, who owns it now? Is it council property? Do you think? I'd imagine CIE own it. Like, I mean, I mean, it, I mean, if it's their property, surely, like, but it's in a council site. So there you go. Yeah. What do you do? You yeah. know. I mean, I, I I learned during the week that Michal Martin's father worked over there. He did. He did. He did. Yeah. And and there's, you know the the bus people, the busmen of old, have great nostalgia for those times because recently when the NBRU had their 
conference in Cork, Michal Martin addressed it and they made up, the, I, I got a, a look at it, this most beautiful thing for him uh, of right. a picture of his dad and the right. bus his dad used to drive back in the day and they presented it to him. It was really, really lovely. Um, and so there's great. There's a great sense of history among the bus drive people. And Irish Jack, who of course is synonymous with the who, Irish Irish Jack is a great historian on, on the busmen as well. He's quoted in this article. I think it would be great to get that thing out of cold storage and do something with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if Michal Merrick is here in this interview, maybe he could do something about it, use his influence to do something, possibly. Mm-hmm. Do you know? I mean, it's it's not it's it's not going to be it'll actually benefit the city of anything. It'll benefit the area, and again, like to say, the history in it, everything. Mm-hmm. I think I just think it's a crying shame. Well, when like, you think about it, what they're trying to do with go on, sorry, go on. No, you go ahead. They're trying to turn Patrick Street into a a place that really is only frequented by buses. Am I right? That's it. Yeah, so absolutely. They're what? Make it into something that it's not, and I I think the whole charm has gone out of the city. What better? To be honest with you. Do you know, I mean, I'd be looking at all the old photos of Patrick Street with the old canopies. No, obviously, or look, I suppose people living back then would say differently, but looking back at it, the, the, the city had a soul, it had a bit of character about it, you know, all the old buildings. I just think it's fantastic. Looking back at them, it's fantastic. But when you see it, no, it's just, it's just glass and steel, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I don't mind <coughs> what, what I was getting at with regard to the buses is, look, if it is a thing that Patrick Street is to be just an artery for buses in the future, well, that's, that's what it is. But would be lovely to take this beautiful thing out of cold, store, cold storage, polish it up, put it on a little plinth, and open it up as the bus stop cafe. The well, bus stop cafe. If that's the case, if it is like that, perfect. You couldn't, you couldn't argue with that. If it is going to be just for buses only, you couldn't think of a better place, really, could you? No, you absolutely. Yeah. The statue, like the statue. Yeah, yeah. I was, you know, it was that wasn't like if you were meeting someone for for a for a jag, as they used to say. <laughs> Right, the statue. You didn't meet at yeah. the statue. You met at the yeah. hut. You met at the hut. I see at the hut. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Even my wife, you know, like thirty years ago, I used to go up there. She lived in Ballincollig, and I lived in Ochtenuni. I used to go up to get uh, the the bus times. You used to have these little sheets sticking out, and you look, you go looking for the buses, you know, and you That's pick right. it up, and there you go. You That's know? right. And if there was any problem on a the bus, they'd write it in chalk on a board. Outside, yeah, there you go. There you Absolutely. I know we're I know we're showing our age, James, but it's come on, it's it's, 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 it's <laughs> our <don't> age. <laughs> I know, stop it. Or no, hey, hey, so you, you, you with the books in your pocket, is it? Mind yourself now, mind yourself now. <laughs> go on, bye. Talk to you again, James Toomey, the boys and girls of Naka, one of the best Facebook pages out there. But is it? I'm just fascinated by this. Uh, I I didn't even. Do you know? What I'll tell you how infrequently I'm in Patrick Street now. I didn't even know it was gone. But it's gone and it's looking very sad and dejected in Fitzgerald's Park. It was raised at the council by Kenneth O'Flynn back in 2017. He wanted to preserve it. Um, What could you do with it? Could you bring it back, put it there, put it somewhere? Um, Be lovely. If there's anyone doing anything with the busman's hut, we'll be... Behind it, one hundred percent. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now there's a documentary coming out about women's sport in Ireland. It's coming up very very soon. It's a brand new documentary, and oh, my goodness me, I am again showing my age. Joanna Reardon, I remember you as a toddler. And here you are presenting a documentary on women in sport. Good morning. How's it going? How are you getting on, girl? 
Good, now, how are you? Great, great. How did all this come about? Yeah, like this all came about um, literally towards the end of last year. I just come off the back of being a part of the Paralympic coverage um, on RTE. And I suppose I always wanted to maybe give my platform or lend a voice or do whatever needs to be done to progress further women's sports. I've been involved now for the last five years. And um, I just think we're coming off the back of such a success with Rachel Blackmore, Kelly Harrington, Katie Taylor, and next thing all of a sudden, the Irish women's football team, um, you know, the boxers. Like, it just got a little bit crazy. And the documentary came at just such a perfect time. I was like, I got to do this. Yeah. What is the, 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 the question it's asking? Yeah, so the question is basically asking if we give women a sporting chance and what that means is in terms of investment, funding, support, pay, whatever it is, um, will they actually exceed expectations? And I think what we learned throughout the documentary is that despite the fact women aren't getting the funds, aren't getting equal access to facilities, aren't getting equal access to what you know the men would take for granted in terms of hot showers and meals, doctors on the sideline during inter-county training, they're actually still continuing to perform at such a high level that it's insane that we expect them to do it time and time again with such minimal resources. Mm. I mean, if you just take the soccer team as a prime example, I mean, if we invested in that soccer team the way we've invested in the men's team over the years, where would we be? I know, it's crazy. And I think to think about five years ago, this exact women's national team, minus one or two, had to go on strike for basic things, such as a hotel with Wi-Fi, fact that they didn't have a case they had to share it with the under 15 guys. they could keep joanne exactly like these are all basic things that i think any men's team would take for granted and i mean look at them now they got their equal pay because of seamus coleman and katie mccabe coming together they got all their sponsorship with sky and cadbury's and now we're off to a world cup in australia like yeah. it's insane and i think that's what i mean like time and time again we just exceed expectations and despite our circumstances not because of it when is it on joanne it's on tonight at quarter past ten on RCE One. So I hope everyone either tunes in or hits the record button and watches it over the weekend. And it'll be on the player as well. Joanne, good talking to you as always. Uh, pleasure to talk to you on the opinion. And that's Joanne O'Reardon. And that's on tonight, ten o'clock on RTE One. Ten fifteen on RTE One. And it'll be on the player. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Where am I going for this? So you should be as fast as you can go start to finish there. Close your eyes and pull like down. <laughs> Nicole Hallinan, hello. Hi, PJ. How are you doing? I'm who, very well. Who are they? The O'Donovan Brothers. The O'Donovan Brothers. All right, you've got the, the kit from Cork Dental Care. Phillips Thanks Zoo. a million, PJ. Home whitening kit. More than welcome. PJ. Um, yes. My mum is your biggest fan, Patricia in Blackrock. She listens to you every day. Anything you say, she's a written down. PJ said, <laughs> she thinks you're the bee's knees. <laughs> well, tell her, tell her she's great and tell her my, give her my best. Nicole, thank What's her, what's her name is again, Patricia? Patricia in Blackrock. And oh. she's a huge Cliff Richard fan. <laughs> well, I, I don't, I, I, I'm younger than Cliff Richard. You're I, self, please, he, please, he I'm a lot it. younger than <laughs> <laughs> Nicole, cheers and well done. I'll win in today with Cork Dental Care. That's it. Out the gap. I'm not here tomorrow. Fiona sits in, so be nice, you lot. Thanks, Emer. Thanks, Fergal. Enjoy the jazz weekend. I'll talk to you Tuesday just after nine. The Takeover. On Cork's 96 FM. Weeknights from seven on the big drive home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire up. I'm good, yeah, I'm feeling all right.